Greetings from the Seventh Circle. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Seventh Circle of Film. I'm your host, Kieran, and joining me today is... You know what? For once, I'm going to actually skip the little like, oh. undisparaging nickname because these films were really sexualized and yeah, okay, this conversation's fair. already going to be awkward enough through the next little period and I don't want to make it more fucking awkward. I was going to go for like a little free hit the fucking bathroom vagina monster fucking TV <laughs> nasty that I share my fucking you know no I'm not even going to finish that sentence Steph co-host please save me um nah I'm just going to let that that sit there for a bit um you're welcome lovely yeah and as a self-proclaimed Cronenberg fan yeah and a Liverpool supporter fucking boo Astrid, how you doing? Mm. Hello, thank you for having me, and uh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair, yeah. <laughs> on point, a few years, continue as a on. Yes. I've allowed, been allowed to say that. We've been doing decently the last few years on taking whatever fucking wins we can. Yeah, and I think we're okay with that you live far enough that you won't come over here and beat us up for saying it, so... No, that's fair, dues. I just let the outcome of the uh, of the league speak for itself. So, doing things a little differently uh, this time. Usually, obviously, we go through all the sequels of a franchise, but today, because hey, fuck it, it's half my show. I'm allowed to do something differently occasionally if I feel like it. We're tackling. We're going to tackle three films. We're going to tackle two instead because, um, frankly, yeah, Dead Ringers deserves its own little slice. That I don't think we can do justice on this kind of format so might eventually touch on it in a different kind of way at some point we'll briefly go over it not in the same kind of depth uh, we're going to go over one of the masters of gore horror uh, with films such as rabid uh history of violence which one of my personal favorites there and you know the fly obviously with jeff goldblum uh, the David Cronenberg stuff. Couple rules we built in as a little directorial spotlight. We're not touching on anything with sequels, or at least direct sequels, for obvious enough reasons. In case we do them in the future, uh, and we're doing stuff with at least some horror bent to it, which kind of disqualified Dead Zone uh, to an extent, and History of Violence. Shame, but hey. So. Instead, touching on Videodrome, which is fucking weird, and Shivers, both of which have, as Steph put it, a bizarre underlying sexual implication. Yeah, I, I don't want to... <clears throat> so, it, it, it's a weird thing that, it, for me specifically, I can't... Or at least these kinds of films put me off. Like, I'm fine with horror, I'm fine with, like, pe seeing people being ripped apart, like, exploded from the inside, whatever you want to put in your film, I'll watch it. The the sexual kind of, like, like, I'm gonna rape you, or, like, have this little child kiss you kind of thing, that maybe, I wouldn't say upsets me, it just disturbs me a little. So, hey, it's good for horror, I suppose, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird taboo um, in every form of media 
where you with sexual assault, sexual violence, everything around that. Uh, in rap music, I think it's the most blatant you have, where you know drug dealing's fine, violence is fine, all this. But when you get to rape and all this, it, yeah, it, it's seen as just taboo and wrong and harsh. Uh, which I, I'm not going to try to justify one way or the other. Uh, it's just that is what it is. Frankly, I know that's a bit fence posty, but fuck it. I don't have to justify my fucking morals to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the other thing with a lot of Cronenberg stuff, um, uh, we do often get weird parallels with the films that we do beyond just them being part of the same franchise. You know, they often have the same directors, they have the same tone throughout them, or the same writer, uh, same general ideas being pushed through. In this case, I think there was a weird kind of amalgamation between the mind and the body that pushed its way through in that you know you corrupt one you corrupt the other this is often this divide that you get in uh, proper media proper media what the fuck am i saying in general media that there's a difference between the brain and the body uh while as in cronenberg stuff there's a there's a real kind of amalgamation there where one's affected the other's affected and that brings across a lot of the sexual side of things it's just a bit fucking weird not bad. I want to like make that clear before we actually jump into everything. Uh, yeah, I, I want to point out I did actually enjoy these films. Uh, it was just um, very specific scenes that we'll probably get into in a minute. Um, very quickly disturbed me. It, it, I think it was more shivers than it was video drama, to be fair. Yeah, before we do properly jump in, and we're going to start with Shivers, um, but we're going to have a bit of a detour, go into Videodrome a moment, just a bit of a teaser, I suppose, to some extent, and a bit of a conversation, because fuck it, we're never going to touch on these films, ever, because uh, frankly, most are just deplorable, and I, I've watched a good chunk of them, and they don't deserve conversation, but uh, yeah, of the two of you, have any of you like seen the... I know they've, they've been called the iceberg films recently, the like violence begets violence stuff. Um, have any of you seen those like really down in the bing kind of proto snuff films, pseudo snuff films? I have not. I can't say that I have. No. <laughs> Are you on about genuine genuine snuff? films are you on about not like, genuine i don't like, think they exist like, genuine snuff films or they do probably but they're very rare like by, by the definition um, people dying for like film I mean, money no i think our first episode was on hostel hmm. is that as close as you've come then possibly uh i haven't i, I know like uh I know there's been a couple of films that come out recently that, like, uh, well, I say recently, within, like, the last two, three years, like, um, was it Parasite was one of them, which was supposed to be really good? No, that's that's so far off from being... Oh, okay. That kind of stuff. Yeah. That's just amazing, then... like... Uh, oh, are, are you thinking like like um, like eight millimeter with Nicolas Cage? I think that came out in the 90s. That was sort of a pseudo-snuff film, where there's literally, I believe there's a... The, the film is sort of located and then, you know, Nick Cage is some kind of a detective and sort of investigates it. Um, I think I saw that years ago. Um, and it's kind of a weird movie because if I remember correctly, it was 
sort of advertised or put out there is just like a crime thriller, but the obviously the subject matter is really is really quite dark in nature, so it almost sort of had more of a horror movie vibe to it too, which which makes you wonder because it was definitely sort of marketed otherwise. I just remember watching it and thinking, wow, this is actually much darker than uh, than I thought it was going to be. No, yeah, it is a damn good film. Uh, Nick has yeah. really kind of pushed it off. And it, I think it, it has what a lot of other films in the genre don't have, which is a point, which yeah. is, is the problem with a lot of these. And I'm, I'm going to just label them pseudo snuff films. Um, I mean, the, the ones you get thrown about a lot, uh, Fubar is the one, the name you'll hear. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is <clears throat> just Serbian a, film. Yeah. Uh, the, that one I, I can forgive a lot more than some. Uh, yeah. August Underground is one that I can also forgive a lot more than some because it has a point to it in showing that serial killers are fucking pathetic at the end of the day. Uh, most of them are thoroughly pointless and just depraved. Uh, and it's just looking at shock for the sake of shock. It, it's like the equivalent the best way I can put it is um, the Eminem fucking encore album. That's what a lot of these fucking things are. It, it's just fucking miserable to sit through. I, I'd rather, granted, I'd rather sit through them than the fucking encore album. That really was garbage. I guess there's also. Would you consider the uh, the Poughkeepsie tapes kind of like a? I know it's found footage, and so it kind of creates an interesting thing where there are some found footage movies that almost sort of parallel or overlap into that pseudo snuff category but i wonder you see yeah I guess Puk- it I think was kind it of a close. mockumentary too yeah I, th- I think it kind of does push on that um and it's still got some artistic value there some artistic implication that has some relevance to existing um yeah I, for for a lot of the stuff that james wood finds in videodrome I, th- I think it really would work, and people actually want to watch it. That that's my problem with a lot of Videodrome that no one would fucking watch this. I do even like Channel eighty six. I'm presuming it's uh, similar to the UK, where as you go further and further down the channels, there are less and less people watching this crap. <laughs> but, gee, I I hate to think that there are that many people that are willing to support and buy shit from Videodrome. Only like sad fucks like me have got nothing better to do. Than pretend to be cool and watch fucking <laughs> only way they can get their dicks hard. Just sitting there going, so cool, so cool. I've not got a job or anyone that loves me, but I can watch this and pretend that I'm not scared. I don't know why I implicated myself in that. Worse and worse, I went down. I always thought what was kind of interesting about Videodrome too was, you know, the way the way Cronenberg kind of got got inspired for the movie, you know, was was sort of this idea of like what happens, you know, after the channels turn off. And, and traditionally, for many years, like in the U.S. especially, you know, we had a thing where where it wasn't like twenty four hours of programming. It was like you know midnight or two a.m. Uh, the television station would play the national anthem, and then it would like it would cut off and that would be it. I mean, that was sort of, you know, heavily featured like in Poltergeist. Most people kind of remember that as a cultural reference because after the, the, the channel shuts off is when the ghosts start communicating with Carol Ann. Um, but it's also, it also kind of brings to mind 
um, you know, when, when, you know, back when sort of regular cable was the norm for most people trying to find like the, like the pornography channels by flipping around into those high numbers and then um, sort of waiting for the signal to clear out. Like everybody, sorry, my kettle sounds like a French horn. Uh, Everybody sort of, um, you know, oh, the boys, all the boys were sort of into that. So it definitely became sort of like a joke or a, you know, social commentary of sorts. So I kind of wondered if it wasn't something to do with that where you're, you know, the, these these young people are sort of flipping through trying to... Oh, squiggle porn, that's what they call it, squiggle vision. Uh, you know, you're trying to flip through that. And then and then what you come upon is actually people being tortured to death. And you're just like, oh my God, okay, whoops. <laughs> well, I mean, I hate to fucking say it, but according to Videodrome, they're like one in the same. Yeah, Cronenberg, it, it's a fun little backstory, to be fair, how he, he kind of came up with the idea, like flipping through late at night, I think he said 11 o'clock, all the channels in Canada would turn off and they'd get signals from America coming through. Um, an idea <laughs> Sorry. That, yeah, idea that was ruined in, like, the 90s, because what comes after 11? Porn. Nothing but porn. <laughs> in America. <laughs> fucking everywhere. Yeah. Just America were the first ones to catch on, yeah. everyone else fucking went with the idea as soon as they could, the day after, just porn, as far as the eye can see. As it should be. As the natural order does go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the part I thought was kind of funny, too, was, um, you know, in the movie, you know, their their initial impression is that the signal's coming from Malaysia, and then they find it's, like, Pennsylvania. (laughs) So it's, like, the the most boring state in the U.S. other than maybe Delaware. It's like, oh, Pennsylvania, they're literally recording this, this terrible stuff i just remember thinking that was so funny too and i think the implication was you know it's it's right under your nose like it's happening in our suburbs which also plays into sort of a lot of the crime you know messages and things like the, the public safety things you know people people in that time period you know sort of believed that satanic rituals were happening and things like that you know in, in that era that like anywhere in your neighborhood there could be satanic rituals happening which I always thought was kind of funny. Did you ever see that um, video they did on Red Letter Media? Um, oh, Surviving Edged Weapons. Where they had uh, fucking satanic rituals in cop training videos in Wisconsin. <laughs> no, but that's, that's amazing and it kind of hits the nail on the head. <laughs> oh, America. It's on YouTube somewhere, like, the whole fucking thing. It's a cop training video that's got reenactments. and It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Dude, we should watch that. We, we need to add that to the list. Uh, but yeah, I, I suppose that really culminates in like the question I'm going to have the opening thing. Um, and that Serene's video drone, really, that I think he was trying to, in a sense, answer Cronenberg in a kind of you're being so ridiculous. Look, this is what would actually happen if violence was put out, not to give my own opinion away, uh, but to go back to the GTA shit and all that, that whole question of does violence in media cause violence in real life? Fucking no. But <laughs> I should, yeah, do you guys think that violence in media causes violence in real life? No. Uh, no, I'm only violent if I watch something bad. So, to an extent, I'd say yeah. Then, if anything, of course, like fucking serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 
You makes me watch shit every week, so I'm... Uh... When, your <laughs> when your life's been validated by how bad a film is, it's just <laughs> on some fucking horrible inverse proportion. My life's worth living because Anaconda 4 exists. <laughs> yeah, Does it, though? There you go. Oh, yeah, he Anaconda. loved Anaconda. It's a fucking great film. Yeah, even the one with... Uh... I got my fucking, I got my fucking things signed. I loved it oh, I so that. fucking I much. I got my box signed by Gimli. I, I, fuck, I have like Mama Kill in my attic, like eight-inch life-size Mama Kill from Lord of the Rings and Gimli statues, and I got the fucking Anaconda box signed. <laughs> That's how you much I love Anaconda. Be worth something someday. You, you never said know. He said, and I quote, "You're the only idiot to get this signed." <laughs> so there you fucking go. Um, might as well jump straight in. So Shivers, uh, originally titled, and I'm not fucking kidding, "Orgy of the Blood Parasites." Mm. More fitting, probably. Gives the plot away. Yeah, it kind of does. But... I think for like a B movie, you you want to hit nail on the head, kind of stuff. Sometimes it really does make a bit more of a ring to it. Uh, anyway, written and directed, his first uh, directing credit, properly for a feature film at least, and first writing credit for a feature film, uh, David Cronenberg, who, and of the stuff I've seen of him, other than the ones I'm listing, uh, Rabid, History of Violence, and Dead Zone, yeah, that's the only three I've seen beyond the three that we've watched. And these... Are the first times I've seen these three. Hadn't seen Shivers until I was watching it for this. Neither um, Videodrome or uh, fucking Dead Ringers. So Steph, I, uh, just just yeah. for the sake of it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, which have you seen of Cronenberg before all this stuff? Um, would anyone be surprised if I said none? No. Not the yeah. fucking slightest. Yeah, I've I've not watched any of David Cronenberg's stuff. This is the first, well, technically three films that I've watched from him. So thank you, <laughs> Astrid. Uh, I've seen all of his movies. Uh, I'm oh, a, they, they, yeah, I'm a pretty big Cronenberg fan. Um, I always found that his sort of expression of body horror in his films to be the most authentic. I I, I can't suggests that he's the one who invented it but he certainly sort of defined the theme in films and um you know it's kind of interesting to see sort of his 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 glow up if you will from like these very early movies he made using public funding up through you know academy award winners like uh history of violence and which is also a fantastic movie um not horror but you know he sort of sort of shifted uh, you know, through the years into making more sort of drama and, and more sort of public release type things, more more suitable to more audiences. But um, uh, yeah, huge, huge Cronenberg fan. I actually got my introduction to Cronenberg uh, in grad school. I worked at a video store and I'm totally dating myself now. But um, <laughs> uh, a friend of mine who, who, who worked there too, uh, he really wanted to get into movies. He really loved filming and was a huge horror movie fan. So we, uh, he sort of one night, we, you know, we were working and he popped it into the 
into the VCR because we had it on VHS, and um, which is I, I think kind of suitable, suitably appropriate for uh, for Videodrome. But yeah, like after that, I was hooked. I was like, Cronenberg is he's outstanding. He's really good at making you kind of go ick in a way, in a very unique way. You know, uh, suitably appropriate for Videodrome. Uh, this, this is probably, you probably know this, uh, but if anyone doesn't, the last, I believe, film to ever be released on VHS was A History of Violence. Oh, that's yep. also really relevant. That's interesting. Uh, which, yeah, was released something like 2006. Remarkably late. Yes, um... <laughs> So I worked at the, I worked at the video rental place until around, I think 2000, yeah, around, around that time, actually, it's when I was in grad school and they, um, we were still getting VHSs, so that, that would kind of make sense. That's, a, that's an interesting fact, especially because you consider, for those who haven't seen Videodrome, um, there's a lot of, uh, 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 you know, involvement of videotapes, VCRs, that kind of thing. So it's a very, you know, as an object, the, the VHS tape is sort of very relevant to the story, you know, as it were. Did you ever get any uh, cheesy comments so they were passing it back to you in the video store, some like awful supermarket <laughs> level joke? They passed it back to you. Um, no, unfortunately... Um, the, the movie seemed to sort of just sit on the shelf collecting dust other than to be watched by the people who worked there who had better taste than all of our customers anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or so we told ourselves. Anyway, with uh, Shivers, directed by David Cronenberg, costume uh, through all three of the films is Denise Cronenberg, who wife to David. I think it was an intern on Shivers, and then was just let loose on the other films um, and did a very good job, especially on the one we aren't going to really touch on much, uh, Dead Ringers. Very good job on that. Uh, and to be fair, everything else did a perfectly serviceable work. Uh, Cast-wise, we've got Lynn Lowry as Nurse Forsyth, who also in I Drink Your Blood, Model Hunger, and The Crazies, uh, The Crazies being... I believe a George Romero film. Yes, I think the for for sure the original. I don't know who did the remake. No, the remake definitely isn't. Um, yeah. I can't remember who did it. I, I I've seen it loads of times with the whole um, car wash scene. Fucking great film, or at least it had great set pieces in it. The remake. Uh, hold on, I'm looking it up. Breck remake Eisner? was directed by Breck. Yeah. Breck Eisner, screenplay Scott Kozar. No idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also got Alan Coleman, played by Nicholas, Ch playing Nicholas Tudor, who, a man, a woman, and a bank, Shadow Fury, Agent Red, none of which I've heard of. <laughs> uh, we've got Joe Silver, who I do know, actually. Uh, incredibly low voice. And quoted as having such a low voice on the radio that he could come out of the radio and untie your shoes, which is simultaneously the most creepy and fucking heartwarming thing I've ever heard. Uh, who was in Rabid? Who played um, a much? I think I think if I remember rightly, 
he came back to finding his wife fucking like dead and rabid. I can't quite remember how it went. Uh, Eva's got Creep Show two that he was in and Death Trap. Generally, just got an amazing voice either way, uh, and also starring Paul Hampton, really starring Paul Hampton as Roger St. Luke, the Doctor, who was in Babylon Five, Heartbreak Ridge, No One, who was in fucking uh, what's the fucking Supernatural, No One in Supernatural. It's another reason I picked films that were in fucking like 1960, <laughs> 1970. None of them in Supernatural. No it's chance. Fine. We've managed to squeeze in a Nick Cage reference in this one already, so I'm willing to sneak in a Supernatural reference. It's fine. <laughs> Fucking try. I absolutely <laughs> will. Dare you. Uh, budget box office-wise, budget of 179000 Canadian dollars. Box office of 1 billion US dollars. Canadian dollars are shit. So, <laughs> well done, Cronenberg. This was the most profitable Canadian film at the time. Yes. Uh, so, a little bit of trivia. Cronenberg like, went through the fucking wash during this. So, first things first, he was slapped uh, and nearly beaten the crap out of by an actress because Susan Pietri, who was playing uh, Miss Tudor, couldn't cry, unable to cry. So, they got onions originally but ran out while they were filming, so he just said, can I just slap you? Went for that. And the actress who was playing Betts uh, saw him slapping her, didn't understand any of the context, and so threatened to kick the shit out of him until they told her what was going on. And all's well that ends well. He was also stabbed by a cooking fork while playing a rapist shoulder Yeah. by, again, by the nurse... Uh, would have been Lynn Lowry. So that's fun. He has a habit of kind of stepping in to actors' shoes when they're in absolute danger rather than, you know, hiring a stunt actor like any reasonable person. (laughs) Because you've got to be a little insane to make these fucking films. (laughs) I think it should be said as well that he did um, do a load of short films by himself before all this and didn't really understand how film worked before he properly jumped into all this. This is when he had producers, you know, shouting him down and had assistant directors coming up and all this sort of stuff. He was doing all this himself before. So, you know, it's reasonable to assume that he wouldn't fucking know that this is the kind of standard practice. Uh, so, because the film was so profitable, ended up being really fucking contentious in the Canadian yeah. government and... You know, they debated it, they went over how controversial it was, he ended up losing his fucking apartment over it. They just kicked him out. Oh, jeez. Panned Is out that... in the end, though, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I could fucking live for that, to be fair. <laughs> and just last bit, if you do want to get it, it's recently come out on Blu-ray, I've ordered it myself, after I found out it was out. Uh, it's on the Vestron Collector series. Very much worth getting. The cover is fucking nice. Just oh, oh yeah, I can't fucking which, wait to see this. Which cover does the um the the Blu-ray feature the special release? Uh, woman on the front with a little shiver. Oh yeah, <laughs> for a song. 
Very nice. Oh, a, a, kind of an interesting thing. Um, so the um, it looks like um, Ivan Reitman produced it, which is a, sort of, I, I actually didn't know that. And um, he did, he's done like numerous really, really successful movies, but most notably... Uh, Ghostbusters. He's the Ghostbusters producer. <laughs> Fuck. I, I did remember that name from somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It took me a minute. I was like, Ivan Reitman? Really? And then I had to kind of check it. But yeah, so I guess this is a little bit of a uh, an interesting um, sort of uh, background story for him because most people would maybe not make the connection. He definitely, he did sort of a lot of... Um, those comedies, uh, like the ones that have like Arnold Schwarzenegger in them, and then sort of goofy action movies and things like that. But um, certainly, <laughs> for Rabid to be sort of, or, or, um, or I'm sorry, not Rabid, for uh, Shivers to be sort of early in his career is kind of funny to me, kind of an interesting uh, is that, bit of trivia. Is that going up in the world, or is that from Shivers to <laughs> Schwarzenegger comedies? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. From from uh, from 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 shivers to uh, kindergarten cop. I don't know. That might be up for debate. <laughs> Financially, maybe. Yeah. Financially, yeah. No, I, it, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, one million US dollars. <laughs> that's still pretty crap. Kindergarten cop. You know, what? I'm not <laughs> going to look up. I'm, I'm not going to look up how much kindergarten cop made because I know it made more than that, and I don't want to quite. <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> it will make me violently angry. <laughs> oh, in that case, I'll look it up for him. <laughs> so the actual film itself takes place on um, an island. I, I inverted fucking commas because I never use it, really. Uh, they never make use of the island whatsoever during any of this. Uh, which is, I think, the only right, mainstay thing with the setting itself that I take issue with. Well, because it's almost exclusively like in and around the the apartment complex. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a film we did, the last film we did with the apartment complex system, uh, Demons 2. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, God. Excellent, excellent movie. Yep. Big fan. Which, yeah, I, th- I think also utilise the apartment complex a lot better than this film does. And utilise the scale and the size of it a lot better than this does. And um, you had a lot more characters in it that were fighting back kind of thing. It was a lot less... I suppose it was a lot more violent as well. Yes. It was a lot... <clears throat> pushing forward a lot faster. Uh, whereas with this, it's a lot subtler. It, you know, creeps on. It's a lot creepier. Just say as well, it's yeah, a lot, a lot more deranged in a lot more ways, uh, but it doesn't make use of the scale they have uh, quite so much as Demons does. Where you've got the garage as well, you've got uh, the different apartment blocks, the roof they use, the actual height they make use of, um, and in this you've got the island as well. You can make use of the water, you can make use of all sorts of things. It could have taken place in like inner. Montreal, and it wouldn't have really mattered. I think it's just a bit of a shame they didn't really push that idea of 
uniformed apartments being destroyed bit by bit and you've got these raving lunatics going around raping people you, you could have gone a bit nuts I think that's the only foresaw I kind of have with the um, actual location I sort of wondered though if they didn't want to convey or sort of create this environment that's very sort of almost claustrophobic like everything is sort of happening within this building and everyone is, uh, you know, not necessarily stuck, but, you know, as it's culminating, it is sort of very confined or almost quarantined into this, this tower. So I kind of wondered at the same time if there wasn't, you know, sort of that idea there. You, you'd referenced demons too, which the original demons, which is also a fantastic movie. I'm a big sort of Italian horror giallo fan, but, um, they're, they're confined in the movie theater, right? So 90% of the movie, uh, once everybody kind of gets there, is taking place in this movie theater. So you kind of wonder in, in those scenarios, um, plus even like, um, like REC or, or, or some of those sort of found footage, uh, you know, kind of zombie uh, type movies. It's, it's a similar idea where, where, where on the surface, it's like you see, a, you know, you see a building, you see a, a, an apartment building, a movie theater, whatever. And then inside, there's all of this, like, horror, just this, this, you know, violence and death. And, you know, in this case, the sexual assault, the spreading of this disease and this parasite, so forth, is kind of happening on the inside. And any onlooker outside would have no idea. So I wonder if it kind of does that where it's... Cronenberg seems to have this thing where he really likes the idea of under the surface, right? So it's like even with Videodrome, you know, it's just, it just ha so happens to be this horrendous snuff channel. Oh, and by the way, it's being broadcast from, you know, Pittsburgh or from Philly, uh, from Pennsylvania. It's like right, right around the corner from your, you know, your neighborhood. And, and similarly, there's a, you know, a very luxury apartment complex just outside Montreal. And, but inside, <laughs> there's so really horrendous things happening. Do you think that's what the opening monologue thing was for? The uh, bizarre fucking, like... It sounded like John Waters was saying it, but the <laughs> opening speech to sell the apartment. Yes. Yes. I and, and, and I think sort of the... There is, like, an irony there. There's sort of this this idea again of like what what's really going on behind closed doors behind you know below the surface that kind of thing john waters that's excellent <laughs> but yeah you, you gotta wonder right like what his intention was there um i'd have to the, the only thing i need to notion about that i did love the whole fucking like exercise and then they mentioned a golf course fucking hell <laughs> Only the Americans can work out, and the Scottish can work out how to exercise, putting in the least amount of effort fucking possible. <laughs> there, there, there's like a million people who pay for the Golf Channel in America. It's a fucking travesty. I will tell you something funny about the Golf Channel. Um, typically, at, as as you lads probably know, at the end of you know the Premier League season, there's usually one or two days where there are numerous matches happening and obviously we we have premier league games are broadcast here well there's always one or two days at the end where there's so many games playing and not enough channels to premiere them that the golf channel will show premier league matches like one or two in the morning and allegedly every year on that day thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people call in pissed off 
wondering why there's soccer on the golf channel <laughs> and that's America <sighs> I don't know once you get even sadder Steph just sent through the uh, actual gross of kindergarten cop 202 fucking million only two and two <laughs> If if this show is visual, I put in that fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. It's not a tumor. Fuck me. Uh, so the only other thing I do technically with the film, the first like five minutes, three minutes, and I know it isn't dubbed, but it really fucking looks it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm just blind and deaf, but uh, I wonder it, it if just it was... looked yeah. weird poor quality or it's quite possible maybe they recorded it in french and then went back and um, actually did dub it yeah i mean this would be quebec wouldn't it they're, they're british actors not british actors they're english actors you know you know what i fucking mean they speak english yes north american canadian there you go yeah <laughs> they're not they're not the weird quebecians oh quebecois like yeah. Parlez vous neuf français. Mon dieu. Speak minimum French. I've went once to Paris Quest. and Calais. I've went a few times. Miserable. Hated it. The Uffizi's better than the Louvre. You fuckers can deal with it, you pretentious little dicks. <laughs> Paris. You know who you are. We get no views from ne- France. I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons. I'm allowed to be a little xenophobic occasionally. Uh, yeah, it it does look a little dubbed, but it's... Yeah, I, I, probably just me. Um, yeah, I didn't. The actual plot... Yes, yeah, so just deaf. The actual plot kind of kicks off uh, where... Is it fucking Sigourney? It looks like, like a Scottish Sigourney Weaver to me. Like a fucking alcoholic <laughs> version, a slightly like done it. If Sigourney Weaver had taken over Jodie Foster's role in Taxi Driver and been like a young prostitute, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just like like a, a bent over Sigourney Weaver who's attacked by um, Doctor Hobbs. Yes, <clears throat> uh, and she's been prostituting herself, giving like vagina leeches out. To people who presumably Generous. during intercourse have you know I, I'm going to assume it's kind of like a throat to throat thing like you get with Betts and the um, Mrs. Tudor later in yeah rather than like this weird leech thing crawling from her vagina and opening their dicks up yeah I, in some like horrific made, fucking... I, I was going to ask because um <laughs> Obviously, there is a lot of male-on-female kind of forced intercourse, should we call it. <laughs> um, Rape. Yeah. Rape. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, yeah, I was genuinely like, um, does, like, things slither at the dickhole? Because that would, A, be painful, <laughs> and B, would make this a whole lot more horrific. <laughs> You blow your fucking dick off. Just in one fucking foul so It wouldn't just blow your dick off. It'd be slowly, like, slivering it's about up. It's time something did. It, it'd be like you'd, you'd be 
pushing down a detonator on a bit of fucking dynamite and seeing this thing slowly scrolling up towards your dick. And then it'd just be pumping little by little. Like you'd have a pump with a balloon, just pump, pump, pump. (laughs) It'd be the most miserable and painful fucking experience of your life while it's acidically blowing through the bottom of it, like a fucking xenomorph. Well, you got to give Cronenberg some credit. He's an equal opportunity offender in that regard. In other words, it was not like an exploitation of women specifically, which, you know, a lot of sort of uh, these these horror movies where sexual assault is involved is is generally kind of directed towards um, the, 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 the female character. In this case, it's sort of everybody is very affected, <laughs> very negatively, yeah. you know, from this. I will say for, for a 1975 film, I think, it's very, like... Um, Equal opportunist, I think, is the best way to put it. Because there's, there's like men attacking men in this. There's females attacking females. There's females attacking, like everyone's attacking anyone, basically. Yes. So there's that whole before it's time. I wouldn't say before it's time because that just makes it sound creepy. But you know, <laughs> it was a bit progressive. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think that's the seventies at least. Yep. And I think the best way of putting it is taking um, a note out of um, Videodrome's book and it, where they said that, oh, they're dangerous because they have a philosophy to it. You, you go back to the other exploitation films of the 70s. Um, again, I'll touch on something we've done, like something like Hills of Eyes from 1970, uh, where you've got the very famous rape scene where you've got Pluto and, I can't remember his fucking name now, but the, the big strong deformed one who go in and rape a girl um Mm -hmm. all the shock value Mm -hmm. uh whereas with a lot of this stuff cronenberg he is to some he's shocking people but that's not the intent that's not the the pure intent of it to create shock and entertainment through that it's he has got a message behind it and that's why he doesn't need to just push on the whole women side of things he can go for you know fucking all covers he can rape anyone all fucking covers <laughs> get raped. Equality. <laughs> Sexual assault equality. Yeah, jumping in with this. Uh, so the, the first kind of... I, th- I think it's the first 30 minutes, 40 minutes. There's a lot of setup in Cronenberg's early work, which is a bit surprising for me, to be honest. Um, you hear from Reputation, he's, you know, this big gore horror lord. I think he knows how to push it. It takes a long fucking time to get there, uh, which is good. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna uh, try to disparage that. With especially these two films, Videodrome and um, Shivers, it's necessary. With Rabbit, it was as well. With the whole plastic surgery stuff. Uh, with this, it it takes a little while, and you you kind of follow the Doctor through most of it. Uh, as well as the two Tudors, uh, not to be convinced with, not to be convinced, not to be confused with any of the fucking like historical Tudors, because you know these people aren't fucking interesting in any way, shape, or form. 
I don't know, I, I can't find any interest in the dumbest, neediest woman who ever <laughs> fucking lived and a man who has cheated on his girl and doesn't give a fuck about her. I just, I can't even feign interest in that. You know, I, I, I watched these films just before we started recording. I have not made that connection up until this point that he obviously slept with the younger woman. So thank you for that. That's um What's what's your thinking then that he actually had a key to her apartment? I didn't even know he had a key to her apartment. He went up to the fifteenth fucking floor and like, <laughs> that's, locked that's the door. true. I don't know. I I, I literally uh I I, I genuinely think, think my, it was like I there think... to fucking water her plants genuinely and leave. Sure. Do her plumbing would... and head He's off. He's a good neighbour. Good neighbor. He he's a married man. <laughs> he's a man of god yeah he would do no such thing no, no literally my uh, I tend to find uh, if I'm literally enjoying a film my mind tends to go blank and I don't connect the dots and think about it until later on uh, we all know on this show that Steph is like the holder up of moral <laughs> absolution oh yeah because I, I don't want kids to die in my films Kira. <laughs> You know what? Yeah. I'll give. I will give this film this nail. Um, kids, they aren't killed, but they do get involved. Which you know yeah. what? No, no, fuck that. For once, I wish they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> no, for I follow that train of fucking thought on the orgy sex film. Yeah. No, no, kids shouldn't have been involved in this. Yeah. Uh, so, just for the one person in this call that isn't up to date with Kieran's, mm. like. Uh, homicidal tendencies um so in films that have kids in them uh they tend to not die and he thinks in most of them they should have the balls to at least kill one child is how i how i see it as kieran's point of view i think pretty much yeah so he's more like um oh come on it's only a film just kill the kid um Whereas everyone else is like, mm, no, maybe that's a bit too much for the public viewing. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll give him this. I think when a child dies in a horror movie, it, it certainly adds to the, the intensity or the shock of the film. And maybe, you know, in some context or, context or for some people, sort of even more so than if, um, you know, than like sort of like the sexual assaults we were talking about how those are sort of put in for shock value. Mm-hmm. I think the death of a child can often be sort of really harrowing. Um, funny, I watched, uh, I rewatched Dust Till Dawn yesterday. I hadn't seen it in years and kind of had forgotten a lot of elements, but obviously that, that does happen at one point and, and you're sort of just, it's very upsetting. I mean, what's happening to, he's not quite a child, but he's certainly like a young person and you're sort of, yeah, but it, it's like the way 14, the way that kind 15, of happens roughly. is is really quite awful. But also, so is the way the band sort of assembles that guitar. So he, <laughs> um, he gets just, killed by the dad, doesn't he? The priest. Yes, and then you see the um, you know the other uh, vampires that had sort of broken into the um, 
to the bar, or they're, they're all sort of eating him, and he just, you know, he looks at his sister, you know, Juliet Lewis, and he says, you know, please, please kill me. And, and it's, it's not even like his death, it's like his suffering. And I think it's something where we sort of, those are the things, I mean, for me, I, I, had, I definitely had kind of a reaction to that, because one, I, I just honestly had forgotten it, I hadn't seen the movie in so long. But um, two, you know, it's just like you see it, and, and you're just, it's very upsetting, it's just very sort of, very shocking, so, um, and, and sort of unexpected, but um, I think, you know, it's Robert Rodriguez, you know, he did the um, the other movie to the, uh, um, not Death Proof, uh, Planet Terror, and, you know, a similar kind of shocking child death happens. You know what, we should, we should, you should have an episode where we only talk about movies where children <laughs> die in the horror movie or something. Um, I could probably make you a list because they, I always remember them because I'm always a bit, uh, I don't know, maybe it's my inherent maternal instinct, but I always find it a little bit surprising and memorable, I guess. But it, it, there's not that many of them, um, which I think is a shame for child death. And call me a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> call me a hypocrite. I draw the line. Child death's fine, like fucking genocide the pricks. <laughs> Whatever, you, uh, if you want to kill them, cut their heads off, fucking disembowel them. Whatever you want to do, but don't, don't fucking any like sexual implication. Fuck that. Yeah. Just immediately cut out the drawboard. Don't even put that anywhere near fucking media film. I don't yeah. care if you want to go for oh this is real for life. This is what we're gonna no fuck fuck off. Don't don't even touch on it. Um, and that's that's the. Uh, the, the big part of Shivers that I take some contention with I, where I don't want to euthanize that yeah I take a massive contention with where you've got like the, coming out the elevator far into the film the lift um, where you've got a girl who's given CP, CPR like SPR so, uh, Shiver Vascular Pulmonary fucking whatever the Acronym for CPR is. <laughs> and resuscitates someone and kisses him on the fucking mouth, the security guard. Yeah. Give that to the mom. There are so many parts of this where just don't have kids in it. Don't imply that kids are going to be part of a massive orgy. It's fucking creepy. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to know about it. It just it doesn't help the message. It doesn't help the theme. It's fucking weird. Um, I'm not going to touch on it again. Because no one else wants to hear about it. Because no one, no one I care who's listening to this wants to hear about it. If you want to hear more about kids fucking giving weird sexual CPR, I don't want to fucking talk to you. <laughs> I don't want you to listen to my shit. Because it's fucking weird. So Shivers is sort of the compass by which you will determine whether or not <laughs> you you will you will keep someone as a listener because if they want a continuation of that discussion you're like you are not my target audience yeah like when when it comes to borderline implied pedophilia um, I'm not fucking even opening that it's wrong it's fucking weird it shouldn't have ever come into contact with any fucking film That's unless it, it it's one of those like it's absolutely necessary and it's being condemned to the absolute point. I'm not fucking even going into it. Sure. That's fair. And I think yeah, any reasonable person can bring that. Um, which, I've, like, there's a weird fucking point where they say that Dr. Hobbs molests a 12-year-old in a teacher's lounge. 
Yeah. I think the exact quote is something like, you give a breast examination to a 12-year-old in a teacher's lounge. And then I decided to continue working with the man because he seemed like a reasonable <laughs> chap. He could, he could get, um, what was it? Like, grants? You see, on one hand he could get grants. On the other hand, he molested 12-year-olds into the 70s. Mm. Jimmy Savile's around, Michael Jackson's around. What a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. What a fucking idiot molests a 12-year-old in a public place. <laughs> Even if you're going to do that. Movie magic. That, I don't know. <laughs> to be fair, there is probably fucking... a few people out there that will and have. So you're not. Yeah, but he's not a music star. He's not a fucking movie star. He's a doctor. Like, if you're if you're a fucking like superstar, you can get away with doing it in public. If you're a professor, you can get away with doing it in like a public bathroom. You get away with that one. Well, you can do it. Are in we like giving a, people a, advice? Maybe we should start talking. Theater. Please, if you're listening to this, we I'm are not giving I'm advice. I'm saying, <laughs> depending on how famous you are, I think you, you have to go down the ring on where you can get away with it. Either way, it's fucking wrong and disgusting. Yeah, that's right. But you go down the ring on where you can actually get away with it. Moving on, he's a fucking beyond being a complete piece of shit, condemnable. He's also a fucking idiot. He is the villain. It's my point. He is the villain. Yeah. I can get behind that. He's the antagonist. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, I mean, yeah, going going through like a lot of the start stuff. Um, we get all our characters. I say characters introduced. A lot of them are one note. Even the the main lot. Um, which is again fine because that's all that's necessary in something like this. We get Brad, who's some guy talking about everlasting fucking life or something through vitamins. <laughs> Whether that was ever a thing, just, there was always some fucking moron. Yoga and shit. I know the eighties had some bizarre fucking systems to try to get everlasting youth and fucking fitness back. Do you remember Slim Suit? That thing back in the 80s. Bring this conversation to something more innocent. No. <laughs> Wait, what's Slim Suit? No. Slim Suit was a thing where you could put on... Um, if you if you picture, like, go back to the 60s and think what people thought you'd be wearing in the 80s, like some, like, fucking microwavable tin foil suit. Oh, the one you sweat. It's yeah. Your, uh, yeah, no, I remember. Yep. I know the one. That fucking thing, you can wear that, and you just wear slim suit to take weight off. He's fucking like he believes in that shit. So just slow uh, cooking you, yourself. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah. All right. You're dehydrating, you're, you know, you're inducing excessive sweating, so you're losing weight by, you know, actual, but you know, not not necessarily like fat, which would be the goal, but water, yeah, which your body body needs to to function. So, hmm. okay, you've also uh, right got the security guard that's being introduced, who <laughs> just fucking suddenly unfulfilled. Poor guy, he's got no friends. No one says fucking hi to him <laughs> walking in. 
Is Isn't where, that the is life that, of a security guard, though? Everyone always hates that guy. Works as a security guard? No. <laughs> no, it's shit. It's shit. Worked like fucking nights. Mm. Had one guy who was in his 70s and this, like, German shepherd that was about 15 that could barely fucking hobble along. <laughs> After, if we were attacked, I was fucked. <laughs> I'd have to be the one to run up, and I'd have the shit kicked out of me. That's the... and we like controlled fucking like the energy for the entirety of the Midlands. If we were attacked, the entire thing was going down. That was it. I I, I stand up for my fellow egg security guards at least. <laughs> I uh, it deserves something. This poor fucker. No one that he says hi to him. Just has to sit there miserably reading books like fucking uh, a nurse in Arabia. Poor guy. The others you get, um, Miss Tudor just categorised as a needy bitch. Uh, Nick Tudor categorised as an arsehole who gets sexually aroused by fucking vomit weasels. <laughs> hey, it's a it's a character. Okay. And then, like, the doctor just kills people? I don't fucking know. Either that's his later character, but beyond that, he's impressed by academia and just constantly fucking cock blocks the nurse with academia. Which has got to be the most fucking unflattering thing to be hit by. When you're being told you're not a as attractive as massive amounts of journal documents on a fucking horrible parasite. You've got to take that to heart. Are you on about the doctor that survives to the end of the film? I am, yeah. Yeah. Um, Who has this nurse throwing himself at him and constantly goes, you know what, you are attractive, but you're not quite as attractive as these beautiful, beautiful journal documents. I think in this film, I don't know if it's like a subtle thing or if it's something like that, but it's like his patients were throwing themselves at him as well. Like, one of the patients that comes in kind of uh, he says that he'll come visit her at like 9, 10 o'clock. I can't remember to do what, but he said that he's going to give her some kind of exam at 9, 10 o'clock, and she's like, hmm, that'll be nice, and then she suds off, and then the nurse comes in and she's very clearly like, yeah, we should bang. Uh, I don't know if it's like a an insinuation that all doctors on this island are just like creeps. Did none of you get that? Or just irresistible? Which which? Oh yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> if he's got if he's got a a a a, a medical diploma, then for the fucking seventies, I suppose he was the uh, hunk. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a weird one. I I know with the nurse, obviously, she has the hot throw. Uh, do you get that from presumably the Tudor then? Miss Tudor? Mrs. Tudor, as it was. I don't think I don't think she's the one that visits him before. She does. Then, um, I know she, where she like, I know completely she breaks patient uh, confidentiality. The fuck was that? Does Canada not have 
like doctor-patient confidentiality, where a wife can just go down and say, Oh, my husband's feeling a little ill. Can you tell me everything about his medical history, please? Every fucking detail of it. I just open it. Don't, don't, isn't that a thing that people are allowed to do? Uh, If you're a married couple or a spouse or something. Uh, Power of attorney. So, yeah, if, if there was some kind of a legal agreement or otherwise indicating that um, his medical information could be freely shared, but otherwise, no, that's just... Um, to be fair, I could see yeah, this needy prick would have been done up that way bugging him to get over. Presumably. <laughs> I sound harsh, but this is a woman who asks, like, oh, can I call you while you're at the office? But fucking why do you need to do that? Get a job. That's being a loving housewife, goddammit. In the 70s, anyway. I'm just a miserable fucking misanthropic shut-in. I mean, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really does just, just build up all this stuff. Right, and we, we get introduced to the other Doctor as well, um, who brings kind of the, the forwarding plot. Uh, where uh, Dr. Linsett try I've got his name written down somewhere down here. Linsky. Dr. Linsky. Rolo Linsky. Introduced. And he was coming up with a uh, an idea which anyone stop me if I mess up here is to replace faulty organs with parasites um, which could yeah. replicate function, which is fucking insane, and saying it's insane doesn't make it any better. I was I was expecting kind of like I don't know mosquito size kind of things. I was I was to seeing replace an organ insects, not yeah, not like giant leeches, basically like crab monster yeah. things. I mean, it makes sense if they're if they're making or if these parasites are or can replace organs, then it it makes sense that they're relatively big, I guess. But yeah, if you, for some reason if you think parasite, you tend to think on the smaller side, at least in my head as well. Apparently, Cronenberg uh, wanted to be an epidemiologist before he went into filmography. See, he knows his stuff more than I do. He's obsessed yeah. with these weird, creepy little fucking things. On that note, what fucking stereotype Cronenberg's going for? If you're going to guess what job he'd go for, if not, you know, filmographer. Either serial killer, surgeon, epidemiologist, fucking weird pornographer. <laughs> Probably more profitable. <laughs> to be fair, we seem to be hit on a theme where most of the directors that we we talk about could possibly go into porn from all the sexual stuff that they put into. What's the other one like Uwe Boll? Yeah, Uwe Boll just shoots porn and then puts them into his very bad films. Paul W S Anderson could probably manage it as well. To be fair, yeah, they'd only star his wife, but yeah. I love as well the idea. Um, this 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 woman, the parasite gets around the apartment uh, because there's basically a prostitute that's at the top floor that's sleeping with everyone, 
um, in the apartment and she's giving her keys to everyone which just feels like a terrible fucking idea unless you're willing to go on for the whole freeway yeah, thing so... it's going to end up like a fucking <laughs> you know shaggy it wasn't me situation so yeah putting putting the 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 pinpoints together in my head literally as as I'm speaking um so she's like the first test subject for this parasite replacing organs kind of thing um apparently that turns her hypersexual and i guess it's like a i i i know i keep saying it but it's like a zombie thing where it's like i'm trying to pass on this this disease thing and give it to as many people as i can so she basically just becomes i guess i I wouldn't say cock hungry but more or less cock hungry (laughs) um and then passes that around to a few different people um and then how do you propose that i do do you like start with fucking i want to start a fucking book club and then propose one by one i I don't know how you begin that how you offer out prostitution to a whole um i don't think it's prostitution because she doesn't get paid uh but to be fair most of the 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 guys that i talk to if and i'm sorry for the one woman that's actually in this call if there is a vagina in relative proximity to any of the any of these people they would probably jump into it so it, i i i think for a woman it's easier to find partners but than it is for men call me optimistic i like to think uh-huh. that a married man takes more of a push than there's it a woman it depends how much of a shit house that man actually is she has to um, at least say it's on offer. I feel. <laughs> I don't even think she has like, to she has say. She give the fucking key to people. I, I think. I think if if like her blouse is slightly open, I think the guy's like, yeah, I'm Th- on there here. has to have been some like fucking porn situation where she went up to Nick with her wife, with his wife next to him, and she said, "Oh, I need my fucking plants watered. Can you do that for me?" And gave him a key. There's got to have been some supremely awkward situation where she went floor to fucking floor doing that. Maybe that's what it is. She just slides a key to her door under every every room that she comes across and then just waits to see who turns up. And with him, it clearly, if... she clearly did that like 50 fucking times because he has yeah. hundreds of them in him. Oh shit, yeah, because he starts throwing them up, doesn't he? Dirty dog. Yeah, kind of fucking deserves it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the second act, <laughs> <laughs> the second act is really where it's kind of all culminating. Um, should I ask to be fair? Rab, did do you have a favourite act of the three? Like where you've got the the setup, the real build up, and the payoff. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I don't have a favourite. I don't think no. Maybe, maybe, maybe the second, maybe Act Two, is I'd I'd say it's slightly better, just because everyone goes on like a homicidal rampage at this point. Like, um, 
I think it'll be it'll turn up, but uh, the doctor gets attacked in the basement and beats he beats the dude to death with a crowbar. Not understanding what's going on really at this point, he's just like, ah, fuck it. Oh no, the doctor Go like me. completely shoves out the Hippocratic Eye for every opportunity possible and beats yeah. the fuck out of anyone he finds without asking questions. Shoots him. Um, Everything, fuck him. Uh, except the woman who he just puts a fucking like mask around and walks off with. <laughs> I don't know, fucking bustle memory. In terms of um, obviously his first film, body horror. You're talking the progenitors of everything he does in the future. Uh, the big kind of. I think draws here. You've got uh, Doctor Linsky being dissolved by some shivers. It's more just a coating of blood around his face. It works quite well, to be fair, for like nineteen seventy something. Um, it's still creepy, more from the actual actor than the effects given, which is fine. You know, you've got uh, holdbacks, and that's the better way of doing it, really. You know, the act is ninety percent of the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a shiver going up. I don't know how to put this without fucking laughing. Is I've I've tried to put like it literally, but a shiver going up a woman's hoo ha. <laughs> oh yeah, so this is this is the this is the scene that I was talking about earlier. Um, this is a scene that's in Slither, or it, there's like maybe it's a homage, but. Yeah, uh, in Slither, which is pretty much almost the same kind of film, but it's like an alien parasite instead of just a parasite that replaces organs. Um, yeah, um, uh, you, you do have to kind of wonder if it was, uh, you know, definitely inspired by that. So Slither was directed by James Gunn, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm not sure if he is a, um, I mean, you kind of think that, uh, you know, a lot of these guys um, are obviously influenced by sort of more talented, you know, directors from before, movie makers, that kind of thing. But um, I'm kind of looking now and I really, I don't see anything where that association is, is made or, or, or where James Gunn sort of alludes to, um, uh, to, two shivers so i'm kind of wondering about that too because that's pretty spot on like almost scene for scene isn't it yeah pretty much um i think the only real differences is from like slither to wow this is gonna be a oh slither to shivers there we go um (laughs) is it's more of like a it's more of like a constantly hungry thing in Slither, whereas this it's like I'm constantly horny. I think is basically, right. basically I don't the only think that's enough of a jump <laughs> to allow copyright. That you yeah. just need to nod over and say that yeah, it's inspired by X Y Z. Like if, if fucking here's me aging myself for everyone listening. If Olivia Rodrigo has to give a nod over to Taylor Swift, then fucking 
Gunn has to give a nod over to Cronenberg for that shit. I, I mean, uh, with all this stuff, Cronenberg actually said that Alien ripped him off. Which I think is taking the piss. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Uh, I th- you mean because of yeah. Shivers? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I really do. I think copyright is a really murky fucking area. Um, thank God that didn't end up going anywhere. No, I mean, I think conceptually the, the point is very different. In fact, most people <clears throat> sort of don't initially recognize the sexual, the actual sexual nature of the face hugger, you know, what, what, what it is actually, you know, doing, you know, in that context, whereas obviously Shivers is a very blatantly sexually violent film, you know, alien, it's almost sort of, it's obviously happening. I mean, this is how the, the xenomorphs, uh, you know, reproduce or produce, they require a host in the same way. And, you know, you could, you could, you could say that the the sort of the implied mechanism or what the what the face hugger is doing is sexual in nature because it is sort of you know inserting an appendage down the down the throat of the victim and you know laying an egg or laying seed whatever but um i think just overall when you're watching alien you don't get the idea of like these are some really horny aliens <laughs> you know what i mean like the the little vaginas the fucking what is it, the eye, the eye oh, yes. in the logo that's always fucking taken apart? I'll give you that. And it's weird because it, it's through that sort of um, opening that I think the, um, there's like a, you know, a tentacle or something that comes out and, and you know, goes down the throat of the, of the victim. So, uh, again, maybe another equal opportunity sort of <laughs> sexually assaulting uh, uh, a species there. I completely forgot to mention, actually, uh, with this parasite, it's... Yeah, they they originally, they talk, the two doctors uh, go over their studies, research, having this parasite that's going to replace organs and stuff, find later that it's been made by Dr. Hobbs to devolve, I suppose would be the best way of putting it, into a more animalistic approach. A more animalistic mindset of just, you know, it's less animalistic, more just male mindset of fuck, eat, fuck, eat, fuck, eat. <laughs> uh, and yeah, kind of fall into that. I think the, the parasite was a combination of aphrodisiac, um, which, as far as I know, is uh, kind of just suggestibility it's a rape drug and venereal disease which is just sexually transmitted um, which is the best translation I can give I, like a fucking super incel made this that can't get laid in any other way so makes more fuckable insects make people willing to have sex with him <laughs> like fucking Elliot Roger came around couldn't sleep with people at gunpoint and decided to get worms to do the fucking for him. That's how pathetic <laughs> it sounds to me. I don't know if I'm just Science. missing the point. Sure, it is. Um, 
I mean, there, there are obviously going to be, you know, allusions to, you know, this sort of representing like some kind of an, uh, an STD or an STI, you know, in terms of it's, it's obviously it's spread sexually and it's sort of, you know, in, in, in some, you know, uh, people's minds, it, it could represent sort of the demoralization, right? Because obviously culturally, there's there's sort of a question of you know sex being you know immoral or you know sinful that kind of thing so there is sort of a question there about when when you are taken over by something that sort of forces these sexual feelings and this sort of rampant orgies and and violence and things like that um it's it's um it's kind of an interesting idea it's like the the spread of uh immorality the you know just taking over the planet or whatever you know in this context obviously with the way that with the way the movie ends you know you sort of wonder if it's implied it goes that way but uh, certainly I, I think that was always a big fear you know at least in American American culture you know in that time period there was a lot about um, you know the in the influence of you know free love and and you know sex and sex drugs and rock and roll right and how that's sort of corrupting our youth and you know society's going downhill and that kind of thing so I sort of wonder if he he captured that a little bit as well and sort of showing instead of being transferred by influence influence it's sort of transferred by you know these parasites yeah it's a lot more of a not personification so much but uh, I had a fucking um Evidification of it, amplification of it. I'll, I'll come up with the term in a minute. <laughs> it's very much an American thing, though. The terror of kind of what's yeah. being brought over by sex and the moral degradation of it. I think Britain, we were just too fucking up our own asses. It's nineteen seventy something. Yeah, we listened to. No, actually, no. We had the hippie shit. Back then, yeah. yeah, here and there, mostly crap though. <laughs> it's what people always forget about music back in the day. Usually, shit that went to the top of the charts. We had um, those were the days, my friend. Betty Davis eyes that kind of shit by King Cards. <laughs> As did America, granted. They still have Michael Jackson and shit, though. They still did have some fun stuff, and um, she's a maniac. Back in, like, mm. 1983 time for uh, Videodrome. Yes. Um, uh, th th there was that sex fear, hippie stuff coming up. And it, it did create quite a nice uh, atmosphere for something like this to really capitalise on. So the the film kind of really shoots into the second act. This point where stuff begins to build up, uh, you have the two doctors looking over notes around this parasite that's being pushed around. They don't really find anything out about it. They just begin to discover that everyone's been infected, and as they try to run away, one completely fucking fails, ends up getting acidified by what's essentially an immobile fucking 
projected slug. Little pathetic, but hey. And the other one gets the shit yeah. kicked out of him I by mean... a load of orgy fucking dwellers. Yeah, so uh, at this point, everything started to kind of kick off where, like, random people have been infected. You don't, thankfully, you don't see them getting infected or any, any of that stuff, so that's fine. Um, and then um, it cuts to. Oh, by the way, uh, the nurse has basically gone back home. She's like, I'm going to make you dinner. Because that's what a good housewife does, I suppose. Um, and then she hears a knock at the door, expects the doctor it to be the doctor. She takes the cooking fork with her, thankfully. Um, and this is where Cronenberg gets stabbed in the shoulder. Because guy comes in to attack her. She manages to fight him off, stab him in the shoulder, and then run away. Uh, finds the doctor in the hallway treating some elderly German couple. Elderly French. I, I know this. Yeah, I've done enough French that I know they yeah. speak French. Okay, there you go. Uh, elderly French couple that have uh, the 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 lady has like a burn mark, uh, like an acidic burn mark on her arm. She sends uh, the doctor sends the nurse um, with her. She's thrown the parasite thing down into the garbage chute and the doctor goes to look for it to see what he's dealing with. Um, And then he gets attacked in the basement and beats a dude to death with a crowbar. He's only black. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I think he is the only black person in this film. So, not so progressive. I joke. But uh, for Canada, (laughs) Demographically, probably about correct, the 1970s. I have no idea. I don't live in Canada. Um, again, they're, uh, they're not discriminatory. Cronenberg, he'll, he'll attack any race. Mm. He'll have any rape, race as rapists. Yep. That'd be fucking awkward. That'd tear your ass up. Having one of these things go through it. You'd have hemorrhoids for days. That'd be miserable. Yeah, but you won't be thinking about it. You'll be thinking about his You neck. fucking will when the dildo comes in and your fucking hemorrhoids get ripped to shreds. I don't care how mindless you are on endorphins. The fucking itchiness alone. <laughs> You'd be putting your ass up a fucking pine tree by the end of the week. <laughs> Miserable. You just see hundreds no of people comment. shagging no up a fucking that's just itchiest pine tree possible. Itchiest maple tree. Be miserable. Uh, yeah, he it, it goes through all that stuff. And third act, really, you've just got a, a culmination of everything that pushes forward. And with the two Tudors, you have the only real thing I need to comment on with those two is that the woman, uh, she basically gets raped by her husband or an attempted rape. Goes, Which was not raped in, in, in America mm-hmm. until very recently. Yeah. I feel compelled to note. It's not rape in India yet either, apparently. There you go. 
Marital rape's still legal in India. That's some bullshit, but carry on. That's not fucking advice. That's just fucking scummy as shit. <laughs> fucking atrocious. Uh, yeah, she gets raped by her husband. But because the shiver, she yeah. makes an excuse to go to the bathroom to put in contacts and then very smartly uh, decides to leave and runs away using that as an excuse. Oh no, no she doesn't. She goes back and lies down to him and only runs away once she finds that she's vomiting out fucking weird alien vagina monsters. The fuck? Why does she go back? I mean, that would send that would send me ready for a divorce if uh, if my significant other started. I'd say rape. Out. Rape is immediate divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Means for yeah, that that's it. We're done. Other thing, uh, does David Cronenberg just call it making um, love every time? That's all they fucking say in this. I, I don't know if it's like a style thing or if that's all Cronenberg calls it. If he doesn't uh, know uh, the word sex. What 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 was the age rating for this? There's a fucking there, there are boobs in it. I mean, it. I suppose it's pretty. There high. are monsters that go into vaginas. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah I, I say that while talking about a rape film, basically. So um, not not PG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was. Um, so, uh, interestingly, uh, the movie opened in the United States under the title They Came From Within, and the, the showings began in San Antonio, Texas, in September 26, so it was September 26, 1975, so it did actually premiere in, in the U.S., um, and in Texas, no less, but I sort of wonder... I don't see anything about um, it being censored, though, which is kind of interesting, or any sort of forced, um, you know, edits to sort of bring it into an appropriate, uh, you know, rating, if you see what I mean. So um, I guess it was okay after all. Yeah, I've just looked it up. There's an 18. It, it's I think it's 18 R, here. rated R, which is the same idea. So not, but not... Yeah, not yeah. even like um, what? What is the other one we have? That's like a step up. It's like X U seven. Uh, no, that's that's over. Uh, that's beyond that. It's um, there is X. There's a U. What is it? U seventeen, something like that. Now I have to look this up. Um, maybe uh, we get X is just blatant hardcore porn, pretty much. You have to go out of your way to get X anymore. Uh, they had it back in the 70s, 60s, my nan used to tell me, where it was like French. She said French. I, I don't mean to shit on them any more than I do. Um, but yeah, like she said, French porn films. Um, which, oh, we yeah, do have an NC-17. That's what it is. NC, we have R and then NC-17, which um, most famous movie I can think of. Uh, that has an NC-17 rating. What was still widely distributed was uh, Showgirls. Oh, that piece of shit. <laughs> yes. An American classic. Yeah, fair enough. Not said it. I just know that um, late and great Norm MacDonald mentioned it. 
one of his favorite films of the year. Fucking course it, I he mean, did. It, it's yeah, it's a terrible, but also sort of hilarious, bizarre movie. It's very all over the place, and um, um, I think it's got like a pretty decent cult following here. Uh, one of the reasons is the the main actress Elizabeth Barclay, before she made this movie, was best known as um, one of the main characters on Saved by the Bell, which was a beloved uh, kids show for like decades in the U.S. The time out <laughs> screech thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Do you know my stuffication? Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, trivia. Hmm? I'm trying to fucking remember what we were now. Oh, making love, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's fucking weird for using that term. Yeah. Could have been early filmmaking though, too, considering this was his first deal maybe just kind of poor dialogue writing or could again could be another element of irony or just canadian or just canadian <laughs> just going too polite on it and we, we take it one step fucking further we don't call it making love we don't talk to each other lights off in the dark up and down like fucking fish and then you turn over and flop and you don't speak to each other for months write a letter to the father and then you don't speak to each other ever that's general that's the, progression that's of the british lovemaking that's the, court, the, the the british courting process watch the peep show that that pretty much puts it across the depressing fucking courtship for british couples mm. one step lower than the canadians there the lacking the apology that allows it to culminate into the more American style of just a fucking smash. The more Videodrome portion. Yeah, um, the Tudor stuff kind of finishes off. Everyone, not so much dies in this. I think a zombie actually, Steph, is a good way of, um, a good metaphor to use in this. Everyone's zombified to some extent by the end of the film. Everyone dies. Yeah, I know it seems to be a... Maybe it's just a thing that I seem to keep bringing up, but every film that we tend to watch can almost be brought back to, like, it's like a zombie thing. Like, like demons, if they get scratched or bitten, they turn into demons, but it's basically a zombie. Um, and it's the same kind of thing here it's just instead of being scratched it's just a venereal disease <laughs> I feel like that shouldn't be quite so uh, just um. as I fairly shoved out there <laughs> it's, um, fucking scratched raped all the same yeah yeah maybe you should put more of a down tilt onto my voice when I say venereal disease it's too joyous still fucking like a- <laughs> Everyone wants a VD. It, it's, <laughs> it's put forward about as casually as that, which it should be, to be fair, for the film. It, it's quite rightly, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of thrown out there. Um, and it should be more shocking than it is, but it isn't, which I, I really do praise Cronenberg for doing. It's as casual as I want it to be. You've got a film like uh, Last House on the Left, 
which uses mm. it as a far more shocking turn of events, the whole rape side of thing, than the killing of their daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, from was that Craven? Where's Craven? Yes. Yep. And it, it it really helped push the more personal narrative. But for this kind of thing, you you want that impersonability to it. You want that abstractness. Um, to kind of push forward the whole, I don't know, the, the, the weird, bizarre, insectoid, parasitic nature that they were kind of trying to push forward. Uh, and you get, you get really weird shit, like a, a dad trying to sleep with his daughter at one point. I don't know what the like equivalent of fucking Alabama or fucking crew is in Canada. <laughs> Ottawa? I'll take your fucking word for it. I don't know where Trailer Park <laughs> Boys was filmed. <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think this was... I don't know, like Toronto? I think this was done. Or somewhere like um, that. No, this was... I think just outside... I think this was in... Uh... Oh God! Um, <laughs> is, is Toronto in Quebec? Uh, you know, the only thing I know about Toronto is it's where that like crackhead mayor was from, Rob Ford. Oh yeah, I, I do remember that. Uh, actually, the only thing I know about this film is it wasn't filmed in the same town where Rob Ford was. That's something I looked up. That's going to make some sort of joke around Nuns Island. It was formed on, uh, filmed Nuns. on Nun Island, located in the St. Lawrence River that forms part of the city of Montreal. Part of the city of Montreal. So it is considered Montreal. Catholic Church can have a fucking field day with some of the shit in this. Um, in terms of the actual cinematography, filmography stuff, um, for 1970, first directorial debut, uh, it's pretty good, I think. I said there's some framing, some B-roll that probably should have been shoved in uh, for the outside, some establishing shots that could probably have been done better, especially with the opening narrative where you could have shown the actual size of the apartment building and have it far more claustrophobic than inside, have a contrast there, you know. Um, But otherwise, I think it was really well done. That there was some borderline experimental stuff, uh, and some very interesting kind of use of lighting. The shot I'm going to kind of pull out here, which is why I'm bringing it up, is a scene where Bette, uh when Mrs. Tudor, I can't remember her first fucking name, kind of wanders into the apartment of her best friend when she's running away from Nick, and Bette kind of turns around and she's got pitch black behind her. She's got black hair, uh, and her white skin kind of comes out in contrast there. The be- the way I've put it in the fucking notes I've got is she looks as if like Tim Burton directed a Maria Abramovich performance art video. She's got pure black against her, and it's contrasted beautifully. You know what, fuck it, no. I can go one fucking step more pretentious. She looks as if Tim Burton directed a Meredith Bunk 
performance art video. There's fucking as obscure as you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, because I don't understand it. <laughs> <clears throat> That's like 1970. <laughs> no one's going to fucking know what I'm talking about. But it does look good. And a lot of the shots in this film look really good. Um, the bathtub scene with the fucking vagina monster crawling into bed looks really good. Uh, and especially the... Um, I don't know how it'd actually work in reality where they're running through and they're getting doors like thrown a- along. I don't know if it's like the changing room of the uh, swimming pool, but where he's running past with uh, the nurse in hand, the doctor and the nurse are running. Yeah. And the wooden doors being thrown out and like fucking orgy nutters. Yeah, it looks like they've made doors out of wooden pallets. Uh, I don't know if that's a normal thing. Yeah, where the fuck are okay. they? It looks great. It's fucking amazing, but yeah, I'd, it I'd makes no sense. I'd assume it's to the swimming pool or to the sauna or something, because the next shot is hit at, like everyone jumping into the swimming pool anyway, so... Or it's yeah. not far off, if I, if I remember. No, no, it, it's pretty much at that point. Yeah. Um... Up like a few seconds later, he ends up in the swimming pool, and it gets you know taken in by. I think the old man ends up pushing him in, and turning yeah. him. Old man with a creepy face kind of pushes him with uh, his wife's walking stick, and he's like, "Eh, yeah, there you go." And then, um, yeah, yeah. yeah at this point. It, it, He's fucking said like all manner of things, like he's Linsky dead, shot away, sleeping with the daughter, um, all this shit, and then ends up pushing past, running around with the nurse in hand. The nurse gets pulled off into an orgy because she's going mental as well. Uh, she's been injected at this point with one of the weird fucking vagina monsters. And then ends up getting pushed in. It's, yeah. But it's still really well shot. Yeah. And it's, it's got a really well visual feel to it with the, the caging uh, side where all the wood's pushed up and used as a barrier where you get to see all these people jumping about, tits like fucking flying everywhere, men jumping up and down. Uh, so it's a shame you never get to see like the, the whole thing. They never get to push it all the way. Like You don't get to see dicks jumping everywhere and uh, vaginas like being pushed here and all. And a proper, you know, all-encompassing, <laughs> wholesome, family-friendly... So what you're saying is this film didn't go too far? I think in some senses it didn't go too far, in some senses it didn't go far enough. Wait, that's the same it, thing. It went to, in some senses it went too far. In some senses yeah, it didn't go far go. enough. With the fucking kids it went way too far. With everything else it didn't go far enough. I have lines, I have principles, standards. Do we? We do. Is that what we're known for? <laughs> we watch shit on a weekly basis. I don't think we have standards. <laughs> 
Oh, this wasn't shit, by the way. I actually enjoyed watching this. It was just very... Um, certain scenes in it were a bit off-putting. Again. That's fair. Yeah, if if I if I didn't say that, people are going to be like, eh, you're fucking... You're shit for not liking this film. I don't like a lot of films, so... I've probably got a lot of messages saying that, so... <laughs> Oh, it's great that you decided to um, do a podcast about watching oh, these movies oh, as well. Uh, I think I've said this on every episode. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't looking to be a pod on the podcast. It was more of a. Uh, I was told it was a rotating membership sort of thing. Uh-huh. Like, oh, we'll bring we'll bring you on for the first episode. We'll bring blah blah on for the next one, and then um, we did one recording. He recorded with someone else, uh, and then went, "Yeah, I'm gonna stick with with with, with you as a like co-host, Steph." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing about any kind of film, so here we go." What can I say? The uh, dynamic works, and I'm okay. too lazy to find someone else. <laughs> find someone more professional. More importantly. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, um, Shivers, I think, ultimately, it it does work. As a low-budget, fairly innocuous horror film. Horror, pushing it, to be fair, to some extent. Exploitative. It feels a lot more like an exploitative 70s film than a horror film. Really, I know genre definitions. Uh, I don't think at any point in this film I was, like, specifically horrified it's more yeah it is it's more of the it's more of the acts that happen in the film rather than like things terrifying me from the film if that makes any kind of sense yeah I think that's fair yeah that, I think that's fair <laughs> It, but I think overall, I think you know it, it does accomplish the message it says. And with you, Steph, I know you often say that you know, you're more looking for stuff that actually entertains you, has some, or not even just entertains, has some level of emotion that it emits out. Yeah, if it if I find that you can tend you can probably tell if someone's like interested in the film that they're making just by the end product because half of the films that or sorry some of the films that we have watched in for this podcast i i tend to get that kind of feeling like it was shot because we needed to make money and there's no kind of emotion behind it but like with especially with like um with these kinds of old time kind of uh like self-produced films and things like that like uh these kind of indie things or uh, indie yeah. is that really fuck it i'm going to go with it. Uh, it these kind of indie things um you can tie like they may not be shot well they may not have good quality in like visual or audio quality but they tend to say more to me than these kind of like high budget, extremely pay like overproduced bags of shit that come out these days. Um, 
because they actually have like some kind of message and the person that's actually behind it kind of wants to get it made and wants to spread like like um, a message or something and these films that I kind of watched I got a message from them I don't know if it's the right kind of message but like I got something from it and that's pretty much all I can really hope for when I'm like sitting down to watch a film if I don't get anything from it then sure. I think what's the point of actually no, I, I, it? I tend to agree with that one of the nice things about these sort of more independent movies is um, you know even even though sometimes with that lack of funding you might not have the best sort of special effects or things like that or the actors aren't always spot on they do sort of you know, give the filmmakers the opportunity to tell a story the way they want, wherein the intention is not necessarily profit-driven. It's more, like you said, to kind of put that message out there to tell that story. And what I think is kind of cool and why I'm such a horror movie fan is that this has sort of been the way that it is for, for, for many, many years, for decades. It's always sort of been more about the story or putting something out there like what's in the vision you know or the mind of of the filmmakers and and obviously getting getting those kinds of projects aren't necessarily always like getting those projects funded it's not always like such an easy thing to do you know as we know like horror doesn't really uh, sell out theaters Mm -hmm. the way say like you know marvel movies might but the fact that there's sort of a a pride or a, a determination to kind of keep hold of that vision, you know, to make the movie the way the filmmaker sees it, you know, I've always found that really sort of incredible and, and it just makes them so much more fun to watch and, and to get those messages, get those, get those visions. Yeah. I mean, it, it, everything, horror has always been kind of the um, catalyst for innovation in the industry, which is why we, why I love it, why I made a podcast around it. You've got uh, the old Hammer House stuff that completely fucking innovated everything around filmmaking. Um, even the free camera system, which is basic sitcom structure, was made by someone who was originally involved with the Hammer House stuff. And this stuff around uh, Shivers and Cronenberg stuff helped to capitalise a lot of the whole, not only just horror, gore porn stuff, but, you know, a lot of the effects that helped to really um, identify a lot of films coming through the 80s, 70s and beyond. And that this film shivers itself and far more so with uh, Videodrome that we'll get into just now helps to really individualise itself in having a message to push forward for shivers i suppose that message would be to uh, you know what i actually don't know thinking about it what has anyone got any idea what the message behind shivers was <laughs> um always wear a love glove that'd be perfect this would make <laughs> a hell of a fucking seeing someone dick explode by shiver I think the the implied message is sort of a rebuffing of um, sort of moral moral pressures and 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 almost in sort of an an ironic and and very you know um, 
I don't know, very elaborate way. In other words, it's sort of this examination of, um, you know, how we how we perceive sex, and then sort of just 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 blowing it out of the water in terms of like the violence and the disease spread and all of these things. Um, I think Cronenberg. It's a little bit of commentary, maybe, wherein Cronenberg is almost taking the piss out of, um, you know, the, those those sort of social moral tendencies where you know sex is essentially looked down upon you know or seen as amoral unless you're you know married or, or that kind of thing and he's just kind of blowing it out of the water and 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 really just you know kind of going for it in that regard that was that was always sort of my impression and plus i mean being being the master of body horror he kind of just wants to creep you out a little bit and so i mean i think we we always you know even people i think who watch pornography i think part of the the excitement of that is sort of you're watching something you're not supposed to be seeing there's sort of a voyeuristic uh, flavor to it and so when you when you're when you're introducing the fact that not only are we seeing um, sex happening in this movie but it's also quite violent and it's really quite gross um, it's almost sort of a, a again sort of a, a, a satire on, on that aspect of like the viewer per viewing sex but then it's really sort of you know really over the top really gross gory violent that kind of thing so I think he I, I think like a lot of horror movie makers he likes to sort of rebuff or you know give the middle finger to a lot of the social conventions and then just kind of turns it on its head and makes it even more kind of vile and gross to see yeah I <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, certainly with Videodrome, it takes that ironicism and helps it push towards the anti-video um, creates yep. violence message. No, for sure. I think so. Uh, a la kind of Twisted Sister-esque. <laughs> uh, but, this, yeah, it, it really does help to kind of push that idea in, in a lot smarter way, I think, for horror, at least. Uh, a, a lot yeah. more interesting, definitely, than if they went the the more standard route. Uh, but uh, we will get into it at the end as well. Um, given though that it's not quite so much uh, sequel based thing, might as well have a little bit of a segment now as well. Do you recommend it? Just generally, this single film has its own shivers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um. To be fair, I would. It's a, it, again, it's an enjoyable like film to watch, and it's just uh, if you do go in to watch it, maybe just um, be prepared is the best way to, I can say it. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's fair. I mean. Um... I think it's a good if you know if you're sort of interested in seeing the the the, the timeline you know sort of the evolution of, of certain filmmakers, um, especially you know ones who have had a pretty big influence on horror. Um, I think you have to I think you have to put shivers in there because of how influential it was and how it sort of made you know helped to get Cronenberg on this path of becoming like the body horror 
movie maker. And, and, and obviously, as we kind of alluded to before, I think you see a lot of the influence of this movie, you know, credited or otherwise, you know, it does show up in later films. So if you're someone who kind of geeks out about this stuff and you want to get an idea of kind of how, how he got started and also how he pissed off all the people who, uh, you know, sort of worked in the government and, and you know, funded, funded this movie only to see what it would, what, what it would end up being. Um, yeah, I think definitely, but yeah, you do have to kind of prepare yourself because it's, it's, it's definitely a lot to, a lot to watch. Nice. So, with that, we'll jump in straight away. Might as well. Always been fucking terrible for transitions in this show, but um, <laughs> after a short break, a one. after a short break for us, bless you, go into um, <laughs> Videodrome. So, movie two, Videodrome, uh, nineteen eighty-three, directed and written by David Cronenberg again. Same stuff. Costume, again by Denise Cronenberg. God bless her. Cast. Uh, so, starring James Woods as Max Wren. I hate to say it. it like, Beyond Hercules, which absolutely great film and he's amazing in. It's the first proper film of cinema. Um, I've, I've... You've not seen uh, What's Upon... Once Upon a Time in America? No. I've not watched Check that Check it out. Either. Excellent, excellent movie. Oh, he's in uh, he's in Reservoir Dogs too. Shit, is he? Oh no, he's not. That's right. They offered him the role and he was not in it. I'm sorry. It's um. There you got Tim Roth, uh, the Wolf, Harvey Keitel. Harvey yeah. Keitel. He'd been good in it, to be fair, based on this at least. Um, and yeah, Steph was just like having a go at me for not having seen Vampires. Yeah. Oh yeah, another good one. So a man. That puts me on a podcast about horror films <laughs> and then moans at me for not seeing pretty much any of them has not seen vampires. I'm not old. Never mind, motherfucker. You're like fucking late 20s. Yeah, I'm 29. <laughs> Is that old? I've, I've, got, I've got a few years. I've got three years before I have to start worrying about being like faux old. Yeah, to be fair, I did. I did realize I've getting. I'm getting gray hair, so uh, that's fucked me up. <laughs> Got a while for I can be fucking like popularity level old. Yeah, hipster old. Hmm. <laughs> Boomer old. Boomer old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyone else like Family Guy, or you might know him from that fucking ooh piece of candy. Guy, <laughs> that, that. Um, talking about stuff I do actually know from those old, old, old fucking boomers that still exist, the decrepit corners of the earth. Uh, Debbie Harry, who, mm. yeah, fucking was her, who obviously hairspray tells from Dark Side, and of course Blondie. Yes. Fabulous. Fucking classic band, uh, Call Me, Half Glass, Rapture, and God knows how many jokes I'm going to use and puns during this. I'm a huge fan of Blondie. I've got all the fucking hipster vinyls lined up along the wall. And my dad found her attractive, which made this the most awkward film that I've watched for this show thus far. The things I do for you people. That's why my dad I fucking. Alone. Secretly masturbate in the corner. Ooh. 
just in his own head. It, it's bad oh. enough when you actually <laughs> yeah. have like a pervert sitting in a corner wanking yeah, off if, with like if one that of those. Actually happened, I'd. I'd... I'd be worried for you, mate. But... It's bad enough having someone wank off in the corner with like a handlebar mustache down. It's another thing to like know they're secretly taping it for their wank bank that night, <laughs> so they don't embarrass you and them at the same time. But you both know what they're doing. I honestly don't know what's worse. Um, it doesn't help that it's fucking like basically BDSM porn through half of this with her in it. Yeah. Uh, we've also got uh, Sonia Smith, who I'm going to say Smith, who plays Bianca Oblivion, because that's not fucking yes. subtle at all. <laughs> uh, who's in Drifting Snow, A Mother's Lie, uh, The Pit, uh, a few other like um, weird. Uh, Vincent Price films as well for some reason there was a few people in the previous film as well uh, Shivers that were in Vincent Price films back in the day I think the girl who played Betts was in The Pit and the Pendulum The House of Usher and um, God uh, The Raven a few Edgar Allan Poe stuff back in the day Okay. A bit of a yeah. weird crossover uh, you've also got Leslie Carlson, who plays uh, Barry Convex, who's the main villain, sort of, kinda. Uh, you've got Moses as well, who plays the cameraman. I, I suppose it's it's a weird one. With Cronenberg stuff, you can't really push towards a main villain, really, beyond like fucking venereal disease and the concept <laughs> of bad VHSs. Uh, mm. Yeah, Barry Convex, uh, Leslie Carlson, who's also in Neptune Factor, Moonshine Highway, and Chain Dance. Fair enough. Uh, budget box office wise, uh, cost dollars this time, at least. 5.9 million to make, made 2.1 million at the box office. Bit shit. And I'm taking the assumption that it didn't make its money back by DVD. Also, 101 times lower than Kindergarten Cup. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just rubbing this in now, Key. <laughs> Kindergarten Cup, that came out in the 80s, didn't it? Yeah. 90s, oh, I think, yeah, right? 90s, yeah. Early 90s. Inflation still ain't helping that one. Oof, that's painful. Uh, <laughs> so, mentioned this earlier, it came about by Cronenberg. Uh, having watched TV past 11 o'clock, roughly, and it just stopped, eventually, making people feel old there, if you remember that one. Uh, yeah, it uh, just completely went black. You didn't have YouTube, you didn't have fucking anything. Kids these days have the YouTubes and their internets and their Netflix all sorts of shits. Be able to get by all the day. It wasn't like that for your granddad when he used to drink fucking paint and <laughs> water from the hose and smack himself with a helmet while driving to the back of the truck. Uh, so, another quick thing. Uh, David, I'm not even going to fucking try to pronounce this. Y- you did Japanese stuff, right, Steph? I did Japanese stuff. Yeah, you, you did Japanese stuff. Can you pronounce that? You're looking at this, right? 
da- David Tshubi. T- uh, Tshubushi. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. I think it's a Subushi? silent T. Tshubushi. I'll take that yeah. fucking life racket. Throw it out. Uh, briefly appears to Japanese poor dealer. Uh, later became a minister in Ontario provincial government, and this was used against him as uh, evidence that he wasn't a person that is fit for governance. Which, for Canada, I mentioned Rob Ford earlier. Yeah, it just doesn't seem quite reasonable. you got fucking crack addicts running around in government. Porn dealers, it seems quite a small time. Uh, and Cronenberg, he had to briefly double for James Wood's scene in which he has the helmet put on. Um, if you know the thing that looks like a fucking like stormtrooper helmet mm-hmm. that's shoved over him, it kind of glowed red. Um, he was kind of worried he was going to be electrocuted by it, so he put it on himself because he still doesn't know what fucking stunt doubles are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say it's maybe slightly better than um, um, Quentin Tarantino, who's been known to sort of do the opposite you know previously there have been actors who have come out and said that he pushed them to do certain stunts that they you know weren't comfortable or skilled enough to do but he really wanted them to be in that scene not a stunt double and um you know this obviously resulted in some some injuries so you you got to give Cronenberg a little bit of credit for um sort of jumping in there to double uh and be the one to sort of you know take the take the injury take the risk on behalf of his actors Tarantino's defense, I don't know how well he could drag for Uma Thurman. Also, in his defense, he looks like a melty-faced man, so I think David Cronenberg at least looked slightly normal, so he could probably get away with it. sort of like James Woods. Yeah. Tarantino, he could put, like, fucking fake tits in. (laughs) Push his face back. I don't think they'd need to be fake. (laughs) don't know, not anymore. I don't know how much you could double for Uma Thurman. Um, Fair. I, I'm never a fan of anyone in a high level in film doing stunts, be it the director, the writer, uh, less the writer, to be fair, the actor, any of it. Because if they're knocked out of production, that's a load of people losing their job, and you're a cunt that's caused that to happen. Which is why stunt actors exist. They're, I don't want to say expendable, but I do mean expendable. <laughs> if, if you guys fuck up, then production can still roll on, kinda. And you can get someone else who looks a little less like you, and hey, who the fuck cares? It's going too fast for anyone to give a shit, and there's explosions. Woo! Um, and realistically, if Cronenberg like, got taken out by that, then ah, uh, fuck it. Production stalled for a while. We're gonna have to get someone else to do it, and yeah, uh, it's less bad if James Wood was attacked, but it's still a shit. Uh, yeah, that's all the trivia and everything. Uh, so, film itself—it's interesting. It's one of the few times where we've kind of failed by our original. Um, way of looking through these things, our original structure of just going chronologically start to finish because it's so fucking bizarre Yeah, it's, it's not Pulp Fiction-esque where it goes 
chronologically all over the place. It's just weird. Go ahead, Steph. So th- this confuses me to the point where none of it makes sense. If if I look back on it properly um, and think about it, not a lot of it makes sense. So um, James Woods, uh, or sorry, his character is pretty much a like a co-owner of like a TV station from what I understand and he deals in anything from softcore porn to basically close to snuff movies um, is basically how he I don't know why that's legal or if this is like a different like universe where everything's legal and like anything's permitted I guess but um, he's brought onto TV where uh Blondie and um, some old woman that's not exactly relevant to the plot. Um, And this is where I'm going to... This is the part where it confuses me because originally she's not real. Blondie's not real. She's already dead. She's already dead in a previous Videodrome video that he's seen and he's just imagining her. But the woman on TV starts questioning her and things like that. So is he making everything up or is he not? I don't know. So I might as well jump to our resident fucking video drama expert. Um, so is your favourite film, right, Astrid? If I'm not mistaken. It's, yeah, oh yeah. It's definitely one of them. To be honest with you, you know, I think the there is some interesting sort of... Um, you know, bizarreness or or sort of confusion, obfuscation of like the timeline and and of what's real and what's not, which is sort of, I think, part and parcel of the film's style. But um, I mean, I always, I always sort of took it to be that, um, you know, Debbie, Debbie Harry's character, you know, I think she really did. She really was there. And and I kind of, I, I, I sort of interpreted the, the, the series of events to actually be her having, you know, sort of become, you know, one with one with the video drum. I don't know that she ever, you know, went and and had the same sort of, um, you know, tumor tumor induced in her brain the way the others had. But I think she actually, you know, somehow did become become you know one one with with the uh, with the whole process of it. It's kind of a it's a strange movie because obviously there is this question of like what's being hallucinated you know, and what's really happening. And of course they introduce a little bit of science into it, which I mean is, is a bit bizarre, but it also does kind of help to, you know, move the plot along like that. This is, this is, um, this is actually, you know, being, being done. This is being, you know, sort of forced on people, you know, these, these tumors being induced as sort of a form of punishment, you know, or, or, or targeting of, of people to sort of turn them into zombies or whatever. But, there is also something very mystical or sort of maybe magical about it where, you know, what is, what is, where is this place that we're able to see it? You know, they're able to see it broadcast and it's showing that it's, you know, either out of Malaysia or it's locally coming out of Pennsylvania, 
which is, is still the funniest part of the movie to me. But like, what you know, is there some other like dimension or something where, where all of this is happening, you know, sort of from like a, 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 mag, a more magical aspect, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's got a weird um, grinding feature through James Wood's characters who makes it all a lot more normal. The, uh, the violence, the ultra level of it. And use that really as a as a, as a point to jump out of and create the surrealism of the hallucinations and, and make it seem more unrealistic, uh, which it helps to parallel itself against the the TV notion. It it does a great job with that, and I think yeah, with Debbie Harry specifically. Um, she was real up until I think she left for uh, the Videodrome stuff from what I gathered at least and then after that she was a hallucination yes and it's just interesting too because then you question is it something where again she's sort of I mean, I, I guess in some ways there's implication that she died, but then also there's there's definitely something where how is her image, like her likeness, her ghost, we'll say, sort of imparted on or communicated to, um, you know, to Max, to James Wood's character, you know, is it is it is it he's hallucinating her because that is who she is, who he is thinking about. That's who is in you know, his mind, or is it something where it's directly, you know, from this, from this Videodrome organization where they're able to sort of utilize her again, like she's sort of become one of them, if you will, in in some, I don't know, in some sort of bizarre way. I always found that to be very interesting, like an interesting part of the story where, you know, you don't, you don't, you never, we never really know what happens to her, but she certainly, you then question, like, is she like in on it? Or are all these just specifically sort of coming out of his mind as, you know, in, induced by, you know, presumably this programming or this, this, this brain manipulation that the, that the, the that organization has, has done to him? Yeah, I, I, as far as I take it, just gone to the rapture. Hey, that's number one. Uh, but... I, I suppose the only three fucking possibilities is either that they're just filming him while she's there giving a response over the fucking VHS and they're somehow uploading it up or they've just had her response perfectly fucking readied or he's just hallucinating it which I think is the, the most reasonable of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, to presume that he's just hallucinating her talking back to him. talking back to him uh, and yeah th- th- that just makes the most sense to me he's just going fucking nuts which makes sense with the general message as well that film doesn't really help to cause violence film doesn't beget violence and it's completely insane to believe that it does which is the backbone of the film. Absolutely. 
to say that, you know, this is the idea that film causes violence. Look how fucking insane you are. Look how insane this guy is. He's got a cancer gun on his hand. He's doing all this sorts of shit. It's completely otherworldly. Yeah, so in other words, it was actually in his head all along. If You, you know, if you kind of think about, like, that sort of implication... It's on him, in other words. It's on it's on the viewer uh, whether or not they they sort of choose to make these, you know, to do these things, to to take these you know violent courses of action or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I suppose in a weird way, if you took it differently, you could say that he completely fucking failed and fell on his ass to, um, but cross the message that film doesn't create violence because the head of a fucking studio went around and shot people after seeing stuff. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of reminded of two films that came out recently. Um, Steph, I doubt you'd have seen them. Uh, Censor and St. Maud. Nope. Recently. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Astrid, did you see either of them? Actually, not yet, but I've heard a lot of talk about them, so they're definitely on my list. And it's funny because people have definitely been comparing them. And uh, some people will say Censor is better, and others will say St. Maud is better. So that might also sort of be influenced... Okay, uh, you know, kind of by what you like. I, I won't, I won't uh, spoil anything then. All I'll say is that censors, censor takes much more of a um, a video drone approach to its message. Uh, I think both films succeed, but censor in a, in a way, ironically, uh, almost undershadows its own message where St. Maud takes a much more direct approach and succeeds in what it wants to tell. Which St. Maud um, is about a... She's a hospital worker, is that right? Uh, or, sort or, of. Okay. She's a personal carer, really. Okay. She, she got fired from a hospital by the start of the film, and she now works as a personal carer, and she's ultra-religious is the, the premise of it. I won't go into any more detail because I fucking recommend it to anyone. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, as is Censor, both films are absolutely great. Uh, St. Maud is a lot more direct with its messaging and succeeds, I think, a lot better than Censor does, which trips on itself a little bit, as I okay. think does Videodrome and Touch um, in some cases, but less so because Videodrome is so over the top to the end. Not badly um, with the cancer gun and shit which is just great. I think a lot of the body horror serves to mitigate a lot of the possibility of taking the message wrong and not taking that ironic sentiment to it. It is is sort of very interesting how you know you see this gun this, this, this pistol sort of like undergoes different sort of treatments or, or metamorphoses, you know, with, with his body, which is, which is just very interesting to kind of see. And, and I, I do think it's, there is some kind of like an implied message again about violence, you know, and how, how violence may or may not be sort of influenced by the media like they they so so you've got like a MacGuffin right you've got like this object and it's you see it you see it you know morphing into his flesh and sort of doing these things where where it's 
And of course, only, only presumably only he is seeing this. He's, he's hallucinating all of these things. But it's just a very interesting way that it, that it all evolves in that manner. There's, I think there's probably a lot of symbolism to that. You know, that's the implication, especially with the VHS stuff. But they never explicitly tell you. There's no like obvious filter put over when there's a hallucination. There's no uh, like thank you. It's just that's the weird shit, and it's happening now. Whether it's and a it hallucination, just, that's, that's what I think gets you though, because you, the watcher, you know, you, the viewer, are experiencing this with him, and so you don't you don't know either. So it's 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 rather it's rather horrifying because like in your head you can't. Like you said, there is no felt tip. There is nothing that draws the line. So as he is experiencing these things, like we, the audience, are as well, and we're equally sort of mortified because there's just a complete loss of control in terms of knowing what is real and what is not real, and just sort of this, 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 you know, this rabbit hole he is falling down into, where things just get, you know, kind of darker and darker. I've done, yeah. Cronenberg uh, really lived up with this stuff and I, I watched dead ringers first three and then i watched uh shivers and then this was the last one i'd sat down and gone through this is where i, I finally kind of went okay yeah he, he does kind of live up to his properly uh you know gore horror king hype the drill stuff made my teeth put on edge uh, even worse than the fucking shiver crawling up the vagina. <laughs> the, the cancer gun. Uh, the, like, fucking sarlacc pit in his stomach. Or the, the vagina-looking thing, the phallic. Over his oh, belly button. It's horrible. Yes. Just, like, hard to watch. Like, really cringy, weird, gross. Yeah, in a good way. Certainly. Yes. In an yeah. <laughs> attempted way. Um, and all, all put across by James Wood as well. Perfectly. Probably his best movie, I would say. I'd have to take your word on it. Yeah, your listeners might disagree. <laughs> Better than his fucking Family Guy performances. Fucking anything would be. <laughs> Ooh, piece of candy. They're gonna fucking chastise me for that. I just know it. I'm gonna yeah, get probably. more fucking hate mail for that one. That's what keeps me getting up in the morning. <laughs> that little fucking ding comes through the notification. I know it's gonna be hate mail, but I'm too pathetic to not get up and look at it every time. Where are your um? Where are your listeners? Mostly America. Of... Oh, okay. Well, actually, this show maybe will do well. Hello, hello, my fellow Americans. God bless. I'll send you any hate mail. Praise Trump. Oh, thank you. It's all hate mail. <laughs> Is it really? There's nothing good? I think we've got one decent one. Two. One from my mother. Aw. See, my mother would hate this. She never understood why I liked horror movies so much. Talk about hate mail. Blondie looks damn good in red. I just want to say that now. Like it's a fucking ginger. Oh, I see. You know, I, I think it's worth mentioning too that Debbie Harry has been in like a handful of 
horror movies. I mean, um, so we, I think we mentioned Tales from the Dark Side. She was also in Body Bags. And um, oh, there's, there's, there's one I'm forgetting. Have you, did you guys ever see uh, Body Bags? It's a great uh, early 90s uh, um, uh, anthology, horror anthology. It's, it's pretty good. It's got, um, it's got what's his name, hosts it. Um, oh, jo it's John Carpenter. So John Carpenter hosts it, and I think he, he produced it or maybe even directed it. I, have to, I don't think he directed it. I have to check. Usually with those things, it's like a free deal, isn't it? Someone, one oh, different person. Uh, John Carpenter did direct it. John Carpenter and Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. Well, that, yeah. that can be bad or good. Uh, it's it's very corny. Uh, Body Bags is a bit corny. I mean, it's very early 90s corny, but if you haven't seen it, I recommend that's, it. It's excellent. Yeah, that's, that's right, Toby Hooper. Yes, it's, it's, it's cheeky. I liked it, though. I really liked it. Vampire shit, Toby Hooper. He did. Um, what was that fucking Stephen King adaptation he did? The uh, mm. Salem's Lot. Oh yeah, with Rob Lowe. That pile of shit. Mm. To be fair, though, there's something to be said about Stephen King movies. I think I think his he's an incredible story writer, great great author. I love reading. Read lots of his books and short stories, but um. I am. I'm. I never find that I'm satisfied with the movies that are made from his books. You didn't enjoy Dutch Slate. <sighs> okay. My ex here's my exception to that statement. Um, the original Shining, which there's there's a there's kind of a funny story with with that. So I don't know about the he, shit remake. I've watched it. Oh, so no, 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 it. not the shit. Right. So, so the original, The Shining, which you know came out in 1980, when Stanley Kubrick did it, you know Jack Nicholson, um, Shelley Duvall, etc. Allegedly, there was a falling out between um, which I, I mean, I, I I love the movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Stanley Kubrick's one of my favorite directors. Also read the book though, which is excellent. So there was some falling out between Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick about the way the movie was made because there were numerous elements that Kubrick did not want to include. For one thing, he wanted to manage the runtime, right? Because if you know Stephen King, you know his movies. The movies that he's allowed to direct, you know, are usually like over three hours long, made for television miniseries kind of crap. But the original Shining, um, uh, you know, a lot of the details were changed to give the movie better flow, to make it more sort of, uh, you know, basically to make it a better movie. And, you know, at this point, having seen movies made by both men, I would say Kubrick was, you know, the wiser of the two in terms of how to make a good movie. Anyway. One of my favorite elements of it, and, and I don't think that this is verified, but in the beginning of the movie, when they are heading up to the resort, there's a car you see off the road, and I think it's on fire. And I can't remember what kind of car it is directly, or specifically, but apparently that is meant to be a direct sort of fuck you to Stephen King. And I think it's because that, that car was the original make and model 
that the the Torrance family was supposed to be driving to the resort. So having it off the road burn burning up was sort of uh, Kubrick's way of saying fuck you to Stephen King and all these like stupid sort of specifics and things that he was trying to force on Kubrick during the making of this movie. So I guess my overarching theme there is is that it's very difficult to make Stephen King's stories into movies, and most of them, I think, do not do well without a lot of adaptation or, or sort of changes by, you know, a director with skill. No, they don't. They're, they're fucking awful. Like, the vast majority <laughs> of his stuff. Unless he knows exactly what he's fucking doing. Like, Maximum Overdrive, he's making something like balls to the wall stupid. Schlock. Um, then he, he, he can do it, but you've got shit like the Langoliers otherwise. I'd, uh, the worst movie known to man has got to be, I, you know, you never made anybody watch the Langoliers for your podcast, and I feel like that's worth oh, well, mentioning. I'm not going to ma- make anyone else fucking go for it. Probably Steph at some point. Yeah, he'll make <laughs> me go for it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I, it's a good, it's a good actual parallel to Cronenberg stuff, generally, and especially Videodrome. It's Cronenberg, body horror, uh, it's very visual, and Stephen King's very unvisual. Yes, yes. So parallels exactly. the wrong word, uh, perpendicular. Whatever the fucking opposite the parallel is. Um, it, it's like it runs parallel rather than just paralleling. At Cronenberg, especially for video drone, he uses the visuals, the hallucinations, to really push it forward. Uh, you get uh, the, the VHSs going into the chest to symbolise him getting new assassinations, I presume. It's a very nice way of doing it. And it adds a little yeah. extra layer to it. Uh, you get him putting the gun into his body and it growing this little cancerous thing. Fuck knows what's happening in the real world for all this, but who cares? You're looking <laughs> at the film for James Wood, so who the hell cares what's happening? It pushes on that. Um, Debbie Harry as well. She goes from, you know, getting burnt and cut up, which is a much better way of doing it than just saying that, oh, she's fucked up, she's the bad girl, she's she's the weird one. And putting on, like, some <laughs> fucking, I don't know, hard rock song when she comes in. I'm yeah, they didn't have My the... Chemical Romance back then, so... <laughs> Oh, put on fucking all American rejects as she steps <laughs> in the door. You know, it gives me hell. That'd be miserable. Um, yeah, they they probably show her burning her tit with a cigarette and cutting her her chest and her shoulder with like switch knives. Said. Um, yeah, yeah, she's definitely a bit of a. Um, a cutter self-harm although not not perhaps in the way you know in the, the traditional way of um you know self, people who sort of self-harm might you know trigger warning here obviously we're discussing self-harm but um you know do so to sort of deal with or cope with you know external forces harming them she actually you know derives pleasure from it sexual arousal from sort of this self-infliction of pain which is kind of kind of a fascinating, you know, I mean, it makes sense. She's like a BDSM radio 
uh, host, show host, but um, it is sort of an interesting thing too because I think um, Cronenberg definitely took took a little risk, you know, putting putting that out there because those are those are the some of the scenes that are like the most real, right? They look the most real, they're the most realistic, but they're also sort of they can be the hardest to watch, certainly for people, because because they look so real. Is that an actual thing then? She, she was definitely like a BDSM radio host. He's always listening to, as she's speaking on the radio, she has massive sexual undertones. Yes. It, it sounded less like a fucking, um, like normal, I thought it was a therapist helpline at first. And like going through, you know, oh, this is how you get through the day. This is how you get fucking eggs yeah, it's and like milk an and shit. Show. Yeah, like that. And then it turned into like what Adam Sandler talks to on Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> Some weird yeah. fucking, oh, I, I, I need fucking, my, my mom's kicking me out of the house. What do I do now? Well, honey, I think you get your sexy ass back in there and talk. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, she calls him lover and stuff, I think, maybe. Okay, that makes a lot more sense if it was meant to be like sexually undertoned and she wasn't just upping herself for God knows how many sexual harassment suits. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I stand... I stand completely sexually innocent not understanding the context. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair enough. <laughs> but yes, I, I think that's that's sort of it, and it is it is kind of an interesting way. I don't know what the intention was of that of you know making her show it's seemingly very innocent until it's not. If you see what I mean. I, the, yeah, a, a lot of other stuff within there that I, I think they didn't take quite as many risks as they could with a lot of the visual side of things and um, beyond. Video. Even with Videodrome, uh, I don't know how much they can get away with, granted. We are still talking the 1980s, and this is an actual film. Yeah. So, the, even nowadays, there's a lot of stuff you just can't put out there that's going to be released to major audiences. And so you get stuff like uh, James Woods goes over some basically Japanese softcore porn that's oh yeah as fucking softcore as you're getting. I, I, yeah, he goes into like a dingy hotel. I didn't know what the film was about before going into this. I could only think, mm-hmm. why, why are you like reviewing some Japanese softcore porn in a fucking dingy hotel? What TV station are you selling this shit to? Station 86 and all that stuff. Uh, goes to the 13th episode, which is quite funny. My people aren't going to watch any of the rest. Which, yeah, yeah, they fucking are. They're just jacking off, mate. They'll watch anything. Just yeah, they'll Japanese watch five minutes on. of it and then go to sleep, but, you know. I, who the fuck for the torture porn site is going, oh, I don't give a fuck about the first 12 episodes, I just want to see the finale. That's all anyone cares about. It's not about the rest of the torture porn, it's about the final bit of torture porn at the end of it. Who I the know, fuck cares? You don't cares? get plot with the, 13 point, uh, the 13th part of a porn film, you know what I mean? It's all about the plot. Yeah. These fucking weirdos. <laughs> has has the plot ever mattered in torture porn or regular porn? You know, I can tell you actually for like Hostel, yeah, it fucking does. <laughs> Hostel two is fucking awful. I think I've seen bits of both. To be honest with you, I never. Host- I never. 
dedicated myself to an entire viewing of either the first or the second. I'm trying to remember who made the Hostel movies. Eli Roth. Don't worry, oh, just listen Eli to Roth. our episode. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> three hours no of it. Or four. I'll get I'll get right on that. Um, <laughs> maybe actually it'll probably be better than watching the movies. It's probably themselves. The third one's worth watching just because it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's in a way that I watched the fucking last. Ah, oh, fuck me. But no, no one's gonna fucking sit through thirteen episodes of the same Japanese person getting fucked. Who has I mean, a you never know. part porno anyway? What's, What's that? Who has a 13-part porno? What sad fuck does that? Um, leather Daddies and Leather, da- leather Daddies Part 2. Is that from um, That's the from guy the who's Fright in? Fright Night, yeah. Yeah, the Fright Night Kid. Yeah. No. Have you never heard about that? No. You know the blonde kid from Fright Night, the best friend? The blonde... The, the oh, kid who turns yes. into a vampire. Uh, what's his name again? It's his name... Freak. Yeah. Yeah. He did nothing yeah. but gay porn after. Okay. Like wall to wall gay porn under yeah. a pseudonym. And then in 2013, he came out, done um, like Fright Nights, uh, like like a, a, a documentary about Fright Night. Then went straight back into gay porn. Okay. That's yeah. a it's a it's a lucrative career, I guess. Yeah. I just like bringing it up every now and again because it's one of the weird facts that I knew that Kieran didn't. <laughs> oh, solid, solid trivia it is. Yeah. Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, with uh, James Wood goes around all this stuff. That's it sets up his general job quite nicely, actually. Um, it just doesn't go quite far enough, I think, as they could have gone, especially. As I said, with the Videodrome stuff. It's whipping. I'm trying to think what they had in the 70s. You had Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was released mm. far and wide. And that got away with a lot more than this. Um, Hills of Eyes got away with more. Evil Dead got away with more. Oh, boy. Well, yes. Well, Evil, to be fair, to give a little credit there, Evil Dead was... Sam Raimi had to make... Like innumerable, innumerable edits before he could even put it out. So, if that tells you anything, is it was extensively more graphic before you know what the product we know now. It took a lot of work for him to be able to release it. Got banned in the UK as well. Beautiful. Even then, um, I've tried. What, what, uh, there were loads of off the eighties. So you got Cannibal Holocaust. It was banned, obviously. Um. Which had proper animal death. Otherwise, not much I, graphic stuff. Yeah. Uh, Felt like the animal that you know. I'm. That's where I. I don't really like sexual assault, but I, you know, except without exception, I can't stand things happening to animals. It's just it never. It's just awful. I don't think it contributes anything to a horror movie. It just makes me sick. Just not a fan. Either way, with Videodrome. Um, Forgetting obviously the animal stuff, the real stuff they could have definitely done. Just I don't know some killing, some like proper putting them up, chaining them against the wall, and knives having some slicing. 
it just felt very fucking underwhelming having just a whip going at them and everyone going oh this is so weird this is so just abnormal (laughs) you had fucking like animal farm in the 80s you had the really weird shit then yeah. And th- this is what gets some fucking guy who goes around looking for this stuff, thinking, "Oh, this is really weird." Um, I I know it's I know it really is a kind of problem of the time, more so than an a- an actual film artistic issue. But it, it's I I wondered up. though if there wasn't some. So sometimes, you know, it's more horrifying what you don't know or what you're not seeing than what you are. So I wondered if there was sort of a message conveyed there where there are other things that sort of happen, you know, that we don't see. You know, we, we the viewer, don't see that we're watching him watch and it's sort of, you know, much more violent or vile or, um, you know, sort of horrific. And that's sort of the implication there because... Um, I think part of it could be too, you know, technically what he is watching is actual, an actual snuff film. Whereas these other movies you mentioned, you know, obviously they're, they're very violent, but they're meant to be because the, the, the context is that we are the ones watching the horror movie. Whereas I think in Videodrome, they, they, you know, I think Cronenberg tries to not go too far with it because he still wants you to come from this perspective where you're like, is this really a horror movie I'm watching? Or is this more about, you know, the norms and then the unnorms that are under the surface, like the underground shit we don't really know about. And so that's why maybe they lay off, they lay off, you know, going too far with some of those sort of scenes of like what's being uh, broadcast. I mean, it's a rhetorical question. I don't know if that's the case or not. If, because you, you would think Cronenberg is a big, you know, he's obviously he's a big body horror guy, but, you know, there's there's either that he didn't feel like that element of, of torture would sort of add to the story itself, or he sort of implies that there are horrible things happening that, you know, that, that Max is seeing, but we, the viewer, don't get to see them so that we imagine things much worse. Yeah. Because it, it's implied that it's real. Yeah, no. To be fair, you are right. It, it wouldn't have added anything, um, which is often the problem with a lot of proper pseudo snuff films. It never adds anything to the plot, um, when you you push it too far forward. And I show don't tell in a lot of these films, uh, and show don't tell is often misconstrued as put as much gore and be as over-explicit and over-the-top as possible. No, fuck that. Show Don't Tell's often just imply something through emotion of the characters because ultimately the characters are what drive the plot forward, not the plot that drives the characters forward, in a good film at least. Yeah. James Wood can imply that, yeah, this is horrific enough through his own emotion rather than the plot of the tape showing that it's horrific to drive James Woods to madness. Yeah, that you are right, uh, and it, it could have, it should have probably stayed at this level. To be fair, it wouldn't have helped anything. 
It, it's funny to think about because you wonder, you could ask Eli Roth who inspired him. I don't think he would say, I don't think he would say David Cronenberg. <laughs> In other words, Cronenberg perhaps possesses a subtlety that Roth does not. And, you know, that could sort of represent how they both hash out in terms of, you know, the legacy they will leave as, as movie makers. I think, I think Roth brings something to the field, but I also think, I don't know, I, per, personally, I, I don't go for the torture porn as much. I don't, I, I have a hard time, you know, watching, like, I, like, I'll never watch The Green Inferno, for instance. I've seen some of the Roth's other things and, yeah, you know, but you, you won't catch me, you know, seeking out Eli Roth movies because, you know, I just, I can't wait to see what gross thing he's done next because usually I can't, for me, it's just not watchable. I, th- I think I like L- Eli Roth a lot more than I respect him. Um, i've watched hostel hostel 2 uh cabin fever green inferno i've watched all the way through as well okay Um, what did you think of green inferno versus um cannibal holocaust which i actually oh i prefer i prefer cannibal holocaust like a million times yeah okay yeah um cannibal holocaust i'll justify i I said earlier snuff films pseudo snuff films um as long as i have a point a message, yes. I, fine. August Underground, I think, is more than justifiable. It's absolutely horrific, hard to watch. It's 115 minutes of two guys torturing a woman in the most realistic way imaginable. Um, but they're shown as pathetic. They're shown as completely subhuman. And that's what's meant to be done. Not some Dexter fucking super psycho killer. They're the most heinous people imaginable. And that's what serial killers are. Green Inferno is just a piece of shit that has <laughs> fucking unga bunga unga bunga fucking Amazon Brazilian, the most racist fucking excuse for a cannibal film ever. Cannibal Holocaust, on the other hand, uh, flips that a lot and shows fucking white saviors to be racist as fuck coming yes. in and you know, filming these things. It, it's a subsect of white culture that's fucking awful and exposed I love that, that cannibal holocaust is sort of the real the real the point of cannibal holocaust is who are the savages really yeah if people forget whenever they mention cannibal holocaust that like half of the runtime is a film route of nothing much yep. happening but people staring at something um, in the same with the Videodrome, uh, a good half of the film is just contemplating what the fuck's going on with the actual film and uh, the culmination of that on society. Ironic in this case is it's just to show that, you know, that this is what it actually looked like if films affected people, um, which is why it works. It, it's that yeah. acknowledgement of what the actual problem is and being smart enough to be able to turn that on its head. Uh which you know it's it's very clever in a sense and works um just jumping through like the first like half of it uh the kind of build up of pushing into the start you've uh i'm not i'm not great with pain play i should say as well so you get james wood who uh sleeps with debbie harry for a lot of this she burns herself with a cigarette on the tit i know I just I never did well with any of that. 
always fucking oh, curl yeah. up into a fucking ball when any of this comes up. Um, and Debbie Harry voluntarily like goes on to go into video tribe. Oh, I, that that always that always made me wonder because you know there was that question of if watching it warp you know warps your mind, and so then the question for me was was she you know did she actually have her mind warped by it or was she compelled to go because she was aroused by it like she would you know she had this sort of this sexual urge or this excitation or something that made her want to to pursue it to see it out that was sort of and it's an interesting implication because like the point of it was you know the channel would would sort of punish people who watched such awful things but it's like for her it was like oh god i got to i got to get me some of that <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> I did. I suppose it's almost like a fucking chicken and the egg situation. Mm-hmm. Which one came first, but uh, an undecipherable version of it, proper version of it. Steph, what was your favorite scene in the movie? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I genuinely wouldn't say i have one i'd say overall it's a good film and i'd watch it again um i wouldn't say anything really stood out though like like the again the body horror stuff was very um the drills through the hands uh uh, the the nails through the hands or the screws whatever you want to call them that was fairly creepy but i wouldn't be like oh that's the that's my favorite scene in this film or anything like that but um good yeah fair yeah i don't think i'd want screws in my hands basically is what i'm trying to get at um (laughs) but i don't know just this especially with like the the whole body horror stuff doesn't really bother me like i know um how do i say this without sounding like a pervert uh you don't you just say it yeah, that, and then we judge that's you fair. the whole pain play fine I, I i'm not into that but i understand people have their kinks fine sure like as long as you're safe and responsible doing what you do fine but like i don't understand how it goes from yeah i, I like i like to be cut during sex to like yeah i want people to film me getting viciously and brutally murdered um I don't know where that leap in logic comes in, or if, uh, yeah, it just... Yeah, I, I get that, too. It is kind of, when you go back and you put that in context of, like, okay, she... But then you kind of wonder, like, did she go to Videodrome because she knew she was going to die? Was that, like, her... For her, was that, like, the greatest release, if you see what I mean? Yeah, I guess, but... Mm, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm very uh, minimalist in how I am as a person. <laughs> I guess, but I, I, I don't. In my head, it's easier and better to get small amounts of something rather than have like a lot. Like if someone gave me two million dollars tomorrow, I'd be like, "What the fuck do I do with this? Let's go out and buy cocaine!" Like, um. I wouldn't know what to do with it, and then I'd what go. else do you do with two mil? Exactly. 
just buy two mils of coke mm. and two mil of coke and then you're done that's my two million spent but if someone I just love to like, see you now like just standing around with a massive <laughs> just square shape of coke solid two kilograms yeah. of coke I'm like can someone bum me a car i've just i've just spent two mil on coke so i need to transport it <laughs> Well, and you'd also have to buy like a golden toilet so you could do the greatest alligator tail oh, I'm... known to man. So it would have to be maybe like a, a, a million, a million, you know, dollars of coke and then a, a million dollar golden toilet seat. I'm very OCD, and so then... doing, doing coke off anything but like the cleanest surface would freak me out. But again, if I'm addicted to coke, I don't really care. But, um, the the the, the uh, sorry my analogy got really out of hand so if someone yep. gave me two million tomorrow i literally wouldn't know what to do with it and buy stupid shit but if someone gave me two million over the course like over the course of a year i'd be like all right I, i'm gonna spend that amount and i'll like put that bit into saving and whatever so i don't i'm very incremental in how i think i think um, or how I like to think, I guess. So, so what you're saying is you're too lazy to know what you do. Yes, is <laughs> like cases, if, if someone's yeah. like, oh yeah, um, I'll cut you and we'll have sex. Fine, whatever. Can we do it again tomorrow? But if it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna cut you during sex now, but I'm going to murder you horrifically tomorrow, and you'll never have sex again. I'd be like, hmm. I think there's the door. Um, yeah. <laughs> Former for me, please. Thank yeah. you. I'm like, uh, please take a ticket on the way out and tell me how my service was. <laughs> if for me, it just pushes into there's there's one line she gives. I did. I might be paraphrasing slightly here. I didn't quite quite correctly. Torture, murder, ain't exactly sex. Uh, from James Wood, and then. Debbie Harry responds with says who? Yeah. Like, like fucking any reasonable human being. Yeah. Fucking like, nutter. Like if that's if that's the way you're going, is us talking having sex? Like mm? it comes back to fucking shivers at that point. Yep. Fucking anything is sex. <laughs> what the fuck is Cronenberg into? Weird shit. <laughs> Millions of dollars of cocaine. Hey. You can start getting up with Stephen King, then. Mm. <laughs> it's an adaptation. Excellent. Now, I think he went, you know, he went straight. He went normie, if you will, after... Um, what was his big... Was it History of Violence? Yeah, that was the big one that... Where he turned to the new, you know, to sort of this, I don't know what you would call it, more mainstream, I guess. That's a good film. That's a, kind of a go. He did Dead Zone, actually. He did do Stephen King, what I'm saying. Um, which was weird. Oh, um, that's the one with Christopher Walken, right? Yep. Oh, that movie's hilarious. With the baby at the end. <laughs> yes. So... I think the funniest thing about that movie is um, oh, Christopher Walken has been on SNL like innumerable times. And one of the times 
he was on it, they did a skit where they made reference to to that movie and it's just I don't know for some reason it's just the funniest thing to me like the, the sort of the way they did those skits was it was something else so I always kind of it's it's such a funny kind of weird reference you know sort of specifically to that movie but yeah the like fucking four UK views we get SNL Saturday Night Live um Chris Walken you might know him from the cowbell thing Mm. That's about it. <laughs> Over here. It's on that thing with Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell's the one that does the whole fucking Jeopardy <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was the it was the, the blue they were playing the blue oyster cult and the 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 story was about how um the cowbell was introduced to the song Fear the Reaper. Don't fear the Reaper. So it's kind of a funny uh Yes, but yeah, Christopher Walken did did some great did some great skits on SNL. He always brought. I mean, he's like a, he's such a funny guy. Oh, anyway, it's a shame he's doing fucking like cat films now. He's doing, cat films. He's doing crap. He did a cat film with like the last film that Kevin Spacey did. Um, Nine Lives. Oh, yeah, I don't even think I saw that. Rubbish. No one did. People think they did, they didn't. No one saw it. Had fucking Jennifer Aniston in it. Not Jennifer Aniston, oh. Jennifer Garner. Oh, okay. No one's seen a yeah. Jennifer Garner film. Oh, uh, another question, actually, if, you know, as the Cronenberg expert here, um, that Ooh. restaurant they went to, was it Iranian? In Videodrome? I was trying to work out what fucking culture it is. Oh, gosh. Uh, and I can blame you for being racist <laughs> now rather than me. Because I've labelled you the expert. Mm, yeah, no comment. Uh, actually, I don't know, but technically you might say it was Persian. It's quite. I can't, I can't recall, to be honest with you. I'd have to look into that. But it's, just, we'll say, um, it's annoying me. Middle... Middle Eastern. Yeah, and it, I know it was vaguely kind of that. Um, oh, the homeless shelter as well. Um, I don't think either of you two have been homeless, have you? No. What's that? I don't. You haven't been homeless, I'm presuming. Oh, uh, no. Like to my experience, homeless shelters are shitty. Really fucking awful. Um, you've got like showers with clogged. Halls and stuff, you've got just awful places. Um, You're looking at, you know, you get in there, you get out as fast as you can. You get a new house from the council, you do all that shit. Uh, The homeless shelters in this are fucking lovely. (laughs) For some reason, they've got TVs, they've got private fucking booths. They look like. Oh, no, it's not Canada, it's America. They look like 90s fucking porno houses. It's, it's ridiculous. There's like TVs in them and fucking nurses coming around checking on you. It's it's insane. I yeah, it's it's never that fucking nice outside. I don't know if that's just Videodrome trying to actually, you know, cement itself within the homeless population <laughs> or something because they really need it. I don't know. It was secret advertising for like the city of Pittsburgh. 
This, your, this is your tax dollars in action. They mention later on that anyone who's seen the Videodrome has gone insane, right? Mm-hmm. Except for James Wood. And um, I don't know if that's a lie or if, if it's because he's watching a corrupted copy. Uh, but yeah, the, these homeless people, fucking poor guys, I presume if they're being pushed through it. Yeah, I think that was probably part of it too. It wasn't like a real homeless shelter. It was sort of being funded because the um, the inhabitants were being exposed to, you know, to this viewing, to certain kind of like brainwashing viewings. I mean, the, the fucking, the, the leader of it, um, Oblivion, is borderline a fucking Bond villain. He, yes. It pushes these like homeless shelters full of TVs with mind-controlling tapes. He has a name, fucking Oblivion. <laughs> He's Irish, it's Oblivion. <laughs> we love to see it. And he, he, what is it? His daughter says the monologue is his preferred mode of discourse, and you find he has about 4,000 tapes of yes. himself. Which was also the kind of the funniest thing ever, because sort of knowing his impending depth, death, uh, he, he made all of these videos, yet somehow they're, 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 they're quite conversational in, in nature, which is just bizarre. Yeah, so when, when they're, they're on the news or on the TV later on, um, he's having a conversation with the woman, while well, obviously James Wood and Blondie are flirting off screen, uh, but he's responding to questions that she asks, and it, if that's the case, he's recorded this obviously months after he's uh, sorry, months before he's died, which is like a year before this even interview was even conceptualized and put on TV. So he must have been like, "This is just in case I get put on that one really obscure show." This is this is another one that's if I'm ever in Birmingham or uh, England. This is for a uh, CITV. Fuck it, here you go. Uh, this one's for yep. like some Indonesian fucking TV show. Why not? This is they have a find my fucking BDSM leather king. Yeah. This is the. This is my <laughs> confession in video form. <laughs> Do you think you have about like, fucking fifty different versions in case they paused at a different time? Yeah, probably. In case they added another word <laughs> so his daughter could put the right one in. Yeah. They've probably got... Well, isn't it... Yeah. I'll carry on. I was just going to say, isn't it so... It's so funny to me, that aspect of it, because, it, again, it's this weird sort of, I don't know, you might say, like, magical or, or, or implied sort of fantastical idea that he's... He made all these recordings, but is somehow living through the recordings. Like, like who's to say that that, you know, just like we... We sort of wonder if, if if Debbie Harry's character, if you know Blondie, is sort of, even though she's her physical form is dead, that she you know so she has somehow become one with Videodrome. If it's not the same for, you know, Oblivion. Yeah, but he's just a, wherein, he's just a TV. <laughs> but he it's like the ghost, you know, and the ghost in the machine. Yeah. It's the it's a it's a weird. It, it makes you wonder. I you know I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. That I'm I'm sort of taking it to sort of a sort of a more supernatural or fantastical version of the story. But there is, like, for me, I always felt like there was this implication 
where you know they had left their earthly bodies but had somehow actually become one with videodrome if you will or one with you know the the the, the television somehow you know, it makes more fucking sense than the implication that he was going through about five tapes a day on different people he could possibly <laughs> speak to. And going, this is if we end up interviewing fucking Israel. This is if we end up interviewing the fucking tax write-offs. This is if we end up interviewing... It makes far more sense that he was going through a million different versions of that. <laughs> that he was some ghost that was haunting something and going, yep, yeah, this is another tape. And his poor fucking daughter, that was the rest of her life. Getting this ready. She's like back there, yeah, fl- flipping flipping VHSs around like some, you know, Macaulay Culkin full house or uh, what is it, Home Alone shit, you know, where he's like mo- recording and playing the tape, making it sound like there's gangsters inside. Yeah, it's either that or she's done a Tyler Durden and she's cutting up bits of film to make it into a like coherent sentence. She's not putting dick pics in there, but she's doing like... um she's cutting up every slice of his film and she's just trying to make a coherent sentence out of these things that he says. And I genuinely don't understand. Well, a lot of this film, (laughs) I was going to say a bit, but I'm not going to lie to you. I did. You don't really need to, I think. And it works to its credit that you don't understand some of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, but he, the general message still comes true, and it's meant to be, you know, TV's confusing um, and stuff that happens after eleven o'clock for Cronenberg when TV turned off, and you had the static come on. It was unknown, unusual, and you shouldn't know what happens after it. Obviously, nothing does, and it's uh, abnormal, completely beyond human perception, which makes it more entertaining. Me at least. Yeah, I, I just still enjoyed so. it. I mean, with all with, with all the body horror, might as well like go over specific bits quickly um, and actually take them one by one. Uh, first thing, the vagina growing out the chest, the sarlacc fucking pit, uh, that ends up eating a hand later on. It takes a gun into it, um, which it cancerizes. Eventually, ends up getting drilled into his hand. You've got the tapes as well, obviously. Uh, they get shoved in. Um, looked good. I genuinely looked amazing. Holds up great. Uh, I think everything in this, like the drills, held up amazingly as well. Uh, the only thing that doesn't is the fucking thing that looked like VR uh, headset, the helmet that was shoved on him. Mm hmm. There was a thing um, that Nintendo put out, or Sega, I don't know which, back in the 90s, the Virtual Boy. I think it was Sega. Yeah. Uh, that looked fucking awful. And I think was just designed to blind 90s kids. Fucking colorblind them. Yeah, I think it used like infrared or something like that. It was... It, it wasn't good. <laughs> um... I will say though, it did look like someone. You know those cushions that, like, if someone's got piles or something, they need specific cushions with like a circle cut out of them. They're like donuts, like it, a fucking whoopee cushion. No, because that just that makes you sound like you farted, Kieran. 
<laughs> I do like a whoopee cushion with the Santa cut out. No, kind of. It, it, basically, it's like these specialized pillows that people with like ass injuries or um. Oh, it's just it's just a donut. It's just called a donut. Oh, there you go. So he it looks like they've just put a donut on his head, <laughs> and um, it made me chuckle a little. Um, I was so after. Uh, after watching this film, I was confused very slightly, trying to figure out if, if it was like a large government plot, to in, to to give these people like the Videodrome thing, or if it was like a very minor thing between from one person, or if it was like a. I was trying to figure that out, and to me, it just looks, seems like. Um, is it Brian? Brian Oblivion. Yes. I was going to say, Br- Brian is not a... Fan. No, it, it's not Brian Oblivion. He fucking dies trying to find it. Um, or he, he was helping to build it for something else. It was fucking, like, con- convex? Barry. Barry. Yeah, it, it, it was the dude that owned the fucking... Um, the, like, uh, glasses company. Yes. Yes. So his big plan to sell, well, I don't know what he was selling, but uh... missiles to America and glasses to the third world, because those things match up in terms of building. I'm gathering what happens is glasses don't fucking sell to the third world. He has to give them away and then he sells missiles to America and then presumably uses the glasses for write off. Tax rise off kind of thing. Uh, Who fucking knows? PR. Yeah, I think it's some kind of an arms arms front. Something like that. It's a front. An arms front that's incredibly like fucking unsecretive. <laughs> Very open. Mm. I, no other fucking arms front in the world goes. Oh yeah, we we help people in Africa. We give them water and food. We help build villages and create schooling, education, amazing stuff. We also provide Ebola to America to completely destroy other fucking countries with. And we also fucking give yaks to Cambodia to bring them up. No no one's fucking that open about it. Yeah, it's a Barry fucking convex, apparently. Yeah, th- those are the people doing it. Um, as, far, as far as I gathered... It's just this nutter doing it. It's not the government. Okay. I think. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I think it was a um, sort of like a weird cult. Some way of of trying to punish punish those who seek sort of alternative sexual fetishes or things like that, which very interestingly follows with... um, some of those themes in, 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 in Shivers where that's sort of, again, that social commentary about, <clears throat> you know, uh, it, the immoral nature of sex. A bit more explicit, possibly. Actually, which one is? Shoving fucking monsters up your hoo-ha or... <laughs> Yeah, this is a bit more subtle. This is where he became a little bit more of a subtle storyteller, maybe. But again, the idea is the same, maybe. I love how subtle includes Debbie Harry fucking lighting cigarettes on her tit. That's... (laughs) Subtlety fucking dies. 
Bond villains running about. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, Max's hallucinations are quite fun. And yeah, I the body horror of it is really well done. Mm. Practical effects all the way. The only thing I take contention with is the fucking virtual boy shit that just looks awful until they quite rightly just get the visual off and put it into uh, real world again. Have just James Woods walking around with Debbie Harry. Uh, the ending's fucking confusing as well, actually. It is. I think it's perfect. So sort of specifically left open to create a lot of questions about you know what what's going on. I mean, the idea the idea is that um, you know now that Max has kind of been exposed to all of these things, I think he's like vulnerable to brainwashing. So, you know, you get the scene where the the tape is inserted into his chest, which is just like the most stunning thing to see. It's almost like the way you would insert a tape, you know, into a into a a, a, a tape player, a VHS player <laughs> um and then obviously he kind of goes on his murdering spree you know he encounters bianca and she sort of reprograms him or, or changes his brainwashing and then you kind of get into this idea of you know long live the new flesh and i think it's just such a at that point is again where i start to wonder about how this you know, when these people are dying in these different contexts, are they not somehow, in a, you know, maybe in a magical sort of way, like um, they, they sort of become part of, you know, whatever it was that killed them, or are they actually just dead? Uh, for that sake, I hope they're just dead. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, Steph, <laughs> might as well ask you since you're confused by the rest of it. What do you reckon to the ending? <laughs> uh, he leaves the new. He leaves the old flesh. Yeah. So he he goes on a murder spree, shouting about uh, that how the new flesh is. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like praise the new flesh or some shit like that. Um. And then, obviously, he's on the run because he's already murdered, like, six people or four people or however many people he's killed, very publicly. Um, and then, oh, one of them he gave the Terminator treatment to by, like, tearing off the skin of his hand and then shooting him. Um, I assume that was probably hallucination, though. Uh, running off, shooting someone on stage at a live event, and then kind of running into the fields like, ha ha, I'm free. Um, gets onto a boat and then has a vision or has a vision of him killing himself on the TV. So maybe it's like another Videodrome thing. Maybe. Um, and then he gets up because he's been given these orders and then just shoots himself in the head. Is my interpretation of it, I think. What well, is the kind of double jump of it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's more of like um, yeah, um, because obviously, it it seems like they're trying to make like little 
assassins sort of thing. They're trying to like make everyday people into these like killing machines, so probably like sleeper agents sort of shit. Um, and then obviously they've done it to him, so they're like, we'll try and get as many people killed that we need killed through this guy. He gets his programming changed, and then because he's obviously killed someone pretty high up, they're like, oh shit, this one's defective, let's kill him. Maybe. It's about the best interpretation yeah. I can give. <laughs> that That's an interesting take. And it works for the rest of it. Uh, I think anything does really. Yeah. It's just left so open. Yeah, I think because it's so open, you can pretty much add however, whatever spin you want on it, but that was kind of my like theory of watching it all together, if you know what I mean. I get to this point. It, it, the few things that I think are cemented, he kills his partners, mm-hmm. um, shoots them dead, presumably not with the weird flesh gun. I think. I think that's just his hallucination of it. Like he's hallucinating that the gun is attached to him, so he can't get rid of it. If you know what I mean, maybe. Yeah, that's a good thought. I, actually, I never kind of consider. I, you know, I thought that it was something where it's like it's become part of his flesh, but that's an interesting reason why he's bound to it. Like he must complete this mission, yeah. kind of thing. Like he can hide it. He can do whatever he wants with it, but. Un- until he finishes his mission it doesn't revert back to a normal gun sort of thing so he has to do this one thing that he's been told to do I think yeah it just comes to the fact that there's no uh, transition between the hallucinations and none yeah it, it, it's a great way of doing it. It, it it is a good way of doing it but you bring pretty much the entire film into question like did he really murder those people did he not is it all a hallucination? And it's none of it, like, eh? I think it works well. Yeah. I having that confusing implication there. Yeah, it makes um, it makes the person obviously it makes us question whether something's real or not, and it keeps you thinking about it. So, well done. Yeah. I- I, I think the only you've got some like, proper. I think he did. He did murder the people, and that's a standout, absolute within the film. Um, with his face being wanted. You know what? Actually, possibly not. I'm trying to think of a point in the film where it doesn't follow James Woods. That I can take as absolute. This definitely happened. I don't. Oh, you mean perspective-wise? Yeah. Um... I, that's a really good point and i think if you i don't think it think about it does yeah it ever does it's always from his it's always from his perspective and that is almost certainly intentional because it throws us off at the same time i, I suppose the first four, <laughs> 40 minutes of it um well, even then, I think the first 20 minutes of it just before he watches the video on Videodrome are absolutely, without question, real. Mm-hmm. And then everything's just up in the air. Absolutely everything. Um, yeah. And up to question. But yeah, no, it doesn't ever leave his perspective that I can remember. He goes into the shoe store, he meets up with Debbie Harry, 
doesn't ever leave for hers. No, it, it does stay with him constantly. Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, um, with the whole of it, even with sleeping with her and everything. No, it, it's probably beat to the beat. That That's actually more impressive than I ever remember giving it credit for. So, I mean, either way, I think a very good film and one that we can't really give justice to doing it chronologically. So yeah. it, it has to be watched more as a character study of James Woods and the idea of violence in media. Ironic side of it, if so. Um, I'd recommend it, certainly. Of course, of course I would. And not only that, I recommend rewatching. If you, if you, If you're one that you, you, you sort of... You know, you're going to be wondering about all these sort of open questions. The more you watch it, the more it's sort of you get ideas about, or you see something you didn't see before, and it sort of I don't know if it, it forms a better shape. You know, things sort of maybe clarify, or it may not have necessarily been the intention of of Cronenberg to convey a particular you know idea or something that you see about the movie that you you know you determine but it's it's something for you you know what i mean that's what's so fun about certain movies like this when so many aspects are left open you kind of you know, you, you do a little bit of detective work where you're trying to solve what he was trying to say but then you also sort of make things you know make decisions about things kind of for yourself based on your own perspective so that's that's what's something that's really fun and interesting about this movie and why I think for any anybody who loves horror movies or sci-fi or anything like that, it's a must. It's a must-see. Yeah. Um, so when when again, I'm gonna go back into fucking how, when I started this podcast. So when I started this podcast, um, Kieran was the kind of horror movie buff. He'd pretty much seen most of the horror movies out there and. I'm the useless twat that had not seen any. And he explained it to me. <laughs> You're the test audience. Yeah, I, I, I'm the person that um, they want to get, like, they, Kieran wanted to get my, like, first reactions to most of these films that we end up watching. Because these are films he likes. He wants to see what other people's opinions on them are and things like that. And what I've started to realise, or as I've done these episodes, is every every time that like Kieran's watched these for years and whatnot so people re-watch these films and kind of cement their kind of their timeline if you know what I mean like they cement oh this is how I look at the film this is A, B, C this is what happens and I've noticed that everyone sees the film differently so say you guys will have one interpretation of this film, I'll have another say fucking Tom, Dick and Harry will have three different other separate interpretations of it and I like to listen to everyone's interpretation of the same film because they're always yeah. different even in the smallest way that's like oh I didn't actually, I mean that's a very small twist but if if we implement it into my theory, it kind of misses with this, this, and this. And I I like... I'm not much of a puzzle guy, but that's an interesting puzzle to me, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
It's mostly why I play D and D and things like that. I like f things that are broken. I tend to like fixing. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. It's a shame you can't fix yourself. <laughs> oh, shit. So, man, I was um, going to say it's a shame you can't fix uh, Kiernan's dating so life. So Astrid is going to be uh, on the next episode because I quit. We got resonated. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to watch Ooh. the last like fucking four of them. Yeah, well, enjoy that. Absolute shit. I've done the best ones. You can have the worst ones. <laughs> hmm. Absolute crap. Yeah. Oh, fucking abandoning and tremors. You're not abandoning me for either of them. Yeah. So we've got um, Resi four, five, six, and the new one, and then tremors. Before we do get onto that, though, um, before I forget, I, ju I just want to do one thing because I wasn't able to during the review, um, which is Blondie jokes. Right. Yeah. Mm. Because I can. Mm hmm. Um, because I'm looking at my CDs right now. And, I mean, first thing that comes to fucking mind is I've seen Eat to the Beat and I can fucking beat to the beat Blondie during this. Beat to the beat, the fucking Videodrome. Uh, fucking Blondie songs. Um, dreaming about James Woods beating her. Uh, <laughs> ooh, fucking ripped to shreds. She was ripped to shreds by Woods with the whip. Uh, she was in the flesh. Uh, there's a there's a decent one. Um, oh, she died young to stay pretty. There, there you go. Died mm. young, stayed pretty on uh, VHS and Videodrome. Uh, I think that's what I got. Brought up to the rapture, I use that one. Um, well, if you can think of anything else... Had a heart of glass. Call me. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm done, yeah. I think that's all I got. <laughs> 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 Woo! I, I, they are <laughs> fucking better than usual. Um, <laughs> other thing we do, Astrid, at the end of this, which probably going to be a little different for me at least, um, is I, I'm going to take a slightly different aspect. But in terms of films you'd recommend, so uh, of the same general tone or Cronenberg films. Um, if someone watched both of these and enjoyed them, anything you'd recommend of the same general tone, or if there's a different Cronenberg film you'd recommend watching after these? Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, so Cronenberg basically has this this style that um, you know is featured in many of his movies. So most of his his earlier things are going to have this 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 flavor, and the interesting thing too is he works. Howard Shore is the composer from this movie, and I believe from Shivers, and 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 his music is also featured um, in a lot of the the you know a lot of his later works. Um, I would say um, don't don't be afraid to really visit anything that he's made you know, in the 80s, the 90s. He really only changed his movie-making style. Or I would say around the mid, uh, like the mid-90s. I think Crash was the first movie he made that was sort of a, a really a step out of the, the, this general body horror style where it was a little bit more of a, of a thriller. Um, 
still an excellent movie. Ex Existence, I would maybe skip. It's kind of dorky. It is, it is considered horror as well, but it's, uh, it's not my favorite. I think it was kind of a failing. Um, uh, but honestly, like to, to pick movies, I love The Brood, Scanners, The Dead Zone. Obviously, uh, The Fly is a classic. You, you know, there's another, um, it's a little harder to find, but Naked Lunch, which is, um, uh, it's, I haven't watched it in years. It's really all over the place. So it's an adaptation of, you know, William S. Burroughs wrote uh, Naked Lunch back in the, like, 1950s or something. Uh, I mean, beautifully, beautifully done as a, as a movie. And really interesting, too, because <clears throat> it does feature a lot of that body horror style, despite the fact that the book was written, you know, decades ago. So it's, one of, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful treatment. It's really well done. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Naked Lunch as well. Um, in terms of other directors, I think, you know, there's been some influence. It's hard, it's hard to say because I feel like the, the original influence of body horror has kind of, kind of a little bit turned into to torture porn as of more mm -hmm. recent and, you know, for better or for worse, but, like, there are some, you know, Japanese horror movies that certainly, they're a little more graphic, but they play on that a little bit more. And they're probably movies that, that people who watch a fair amount of horror are more familiar with. So it's kind of like a lot of the stuff Takashi Miike did, um, where it's a little bit more graphic. But I think there are things about it where even with the graphicness, there's kind of gross things that are being done, especially, like, to fingers, if you're somebody who's mortified you know by that uh, which can be kind of more specific to body horror than 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 maybe just torture porn in general but like three extremes um is a good example the audition is a good example so you can kind of go in that direction uh, the audition has the fucking droning first half set down right yeah the first hour and fucking 30 minutes that goes nowhere yeah, exactly. So there, there are sort of new ways that it's been uh, sort of adapted into um, things. Um, you know, Autopsy of Jane Doe is sort of considered to have body horror elements. I mean, it is about an autopsy, so there are graphic things that are sort of happening, you know, to the to the body, which which can be upsetting. I think Darren Aronofsky um, plays with it conceptually very well, especially if you look at Black Swan which is a little grotesque, a little all over the place. Um, I think Black Swan's perfect. I love that movie. Um, <laughs> I really do. It, it, it uses body horror like Cronenberg uses it, not as um, the centerpiece, but as a function, as a tool to progress something else. Yeah. Um, which is, is important for body horror. Yeah. Very important, because otherwise you're straight into torture board. Yes. And there is, I That's think... What you do. Yeah, and I, I, you're absolutely right. And I think there is sort of a... There's a hazy sort of line that, that separates the two where they, you know, it's like a Venn diagram. They kind of overlap in some areas and some movies and then they, they don't. In that regard, Event Horizon, which is a very polarizing movie, I think it's pretty horrifying, but Event Horizon definitely, I don't think it's as much torture porn, but it certainly has some very strong body horror elements and certainly some very grotesque things. Yeah, um, I praised it during the Paul um, W.S. Anderson stuff talks about paul thomas 
Paul WS. Yeah, it's WS. Yeah. I keep fucking that up. I praised it during Resident Evil stuff last time. Okay. Uh, I, I, st- I still fucking love the film. Yeah. Even like, I did, I... if you think of like Hellraiser, so, um, you know, a lot of the things that uh, Clive, Clive Barker, who I also, I love Clive Barker. Um, he's also from Liverpool, if you were wondering. A delicious, Clive Barker is a delicious queer man from Liverpool. God bless him. Um, you know, he's done, you know, and he doesn't necessarily make all of the movies, but certainly a lot of the things he's written have been made into really, really great, great movies. Um, Candyman. Oh, yes. Candyman, I think you could say, has elements of body horror. The bees kind of in and out of sort of, you know, kind of coursing through, through, um, you know, his, his abdomen, through his, his rib cage. You know, obviously the hook, his hand being cut off, the hook placed on it. Um, you know, certainly, certainly aspects of that, I think, I think sort of, uh, I would be surprised if Clive Barker wasn't in some part sort of influenced, although I think their, their timeline is around the same. But I'm sure, I'm sure Clive Barker enjoys some of the things Cronenberg has done, even if he's on sort of his own. Even like Lord of, is it Lord of Illusions? Um, yeah. He did that. Yeah, or he's got his neck has been slit and it's kind of tacked back together, like like with bolts or something. It's just so disgusting to look at. <laughs> I, I, it, it, you take that aspect to it. I'll take something slightly different. And go, um, I suppose, toe the line a bit more between that body horror and torture porn stuff, and really take that. Uh, and yeah, I, I suppose I'm kind of fetishizing that porn aspect that Cronenberg uses, but hey, that's half the appeal. You fuck. Uh, and I'll put forward Tusk. Mm. Oh, so yes. That, if you really want to push forward, go Tusk, which does use uh, proper body horror. Yes. In what I think is a respectable way. Yes. If a little sickening. Um, if you want to go really pretentious, Tetsuro the Iron Man. Oh, yes which same kind of vibe uh, more depressing arguably than Tusk uh, I won't spoil anything because they're, they're both something you don't google them either yeah just, just go, go in go there yeah no I think that's definitely that's definitely fair and it's really interesting to see sort of how how body horror can take its individual directions and and the point you make about Tusk is perfect because we we don't necessarily watch the the mutilation you know happening. It's more we see the after effects, and I think humans in general, you know, find the like dismemberment of appendages. I know for me, I I, I am even more than maybe like seeing a disembowelment scene, which is going to be gross. I find the cutting off of fingers or limbs to be, oh, just really disturbing. Not, I don't even have to see it happening, just knowing it happened, like in a movie. It's just really, really disturbing for me. So, you know, you have that scene in Tusk right off the bat, and you know, you know where this kind of thing happens, and we see the after effect, and we know this movie is going to go downhill, something, something fierce. And that, that effect of not having seen it happen, but then seeing 
you know, the, the, the effect of the mutilation, you're just like, oh my God, that is, I think that is quintessential body horror. I agree completely. I'm trying to think of any, like, I, I was thinking of a film from my childhood where there was, um, I think it was a load of dinosaurs and two kids made friends with them and they were slowly turned into fucking monkeys. You know, if you want fucking children level body horror, go <laughs> Pinocchio. Sure. Go for fucking that, that fucking horrific shit. Pinocchio. Yeah, Pinocchio is a great. I mean, that that you could Pinocchio could be horrible. Yeah, with the donkeys, that's pretty terrifying. Even like um, Ginger Snaps, total cult favorite movie. Oh, yeah, Ginger Snaps is a great example. I mean, and it, it's Ginger Snaps is so fun too because it's sort of. It's like the symbol symbolism of of menarchy for for her, where you know the older sister is sort of changing and she's becoming you know a woman, but it's also like well, you know she's becoming a fucking werewolf and and sort of the um the the symbolism there. Oh, excellent, excellent movie. Steph, you got anything? Yeah, well, I was gonna say Tusk because <laughs> it's pretty much the only film I have seen that's in this. Um... You fucking seen Tusk. Yeah, um, I, I was. Very, I did not expect that. Yeah, I was he- very heavily into uh, Jay and Silent Bob, so Kevin Smith stuff. Uh, oh, yep, you're right. Yeah, and uh, he directed, writ, and everything. Uh, he did everything for Tusk, so I watched it and was horrifically scarred by it. So I <laughs> stopped watching Tusk. <laughs> We're definitely uh, going to get, what you're, did... you're going to get hate mail for saying you watched a movie because Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck Did you get to, uh, fuck it, I'll, I'll stand with you on that. I've watched fucking Clerks and Clerks too because Kevin Smith's fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I'm just. He, I've, I've seen his Superman speech. Eat a He's dick. fucking funny. I almost. It's worth watching, actually, if anyone uh, wants to hear when Kevin Smith used to be funny. Um, he did a thing on YouTube, a question asked to him about Superman Returns, I think, which is fucking hilarious. Some absolute madman who ended up producing Wild Wild West with Will Smith, <laughs> um, who, for Superman Returns, had like three fucking stipulations for it that Superman couldn't fly. He couldn't wear, and I quote, that gay costume, uh, and he had to fight a giant spider by the third act. <laughs> My god. It's, it's so fucking funny. This like, fucking madman who was the hairdresser to some big A-lister. I can't remember who she was now. It, it's, it's great. Um, it, it's worth watching. I'll send it over after this. So I almost forgot um, probably two two very important body horror movies as well. Um, I believe both were directed by Brian Usna. One is Society. Have to watch Society. Um, absolutely. And if you haven't seen it, you definitely... Um, oh. Is that the one with the poster with like societies in red? Yes. Blood and it. it's got yes. pink in the background. Yes. Yeah. Society is excellent. And then actually, Yuzna uh, produced a handful of films by Stuart Gordon. Reanimator is a oh, 
Very classic. classic. Yeah, very, very classic. And um, uh, I think it, it's got a sequel as well that is just hilarious. It's got two. Did you guys do that yet for your show? We haven't, no. I think we've uh, watched them. I th- yeah, I forced have to watch at least the first one. Yeah. At some point. It's Beyond Reanimator, that's the sequel. I mean just hilarious. Oh, and oh there's also Bride of Reanimator. Yeah. I mean those are just they go to sort of the next level of of ridiculous, but also, you know, it's good shit. God bless you, Brian Usna. What would we do with a fucking insane people? <laughs> so it'd be a lot it'd be a lot more boring. Yes watching shit pretty much yeah that's kind of introduction to Cronenberg we'll probably do something like this again with other Cronenberg stuff Um, not touch on some of his singles again what we're going to do next time god fucking help us (laughs) is go through I think Scanners Mm. it's either going to be Scanners or Rabid Okay. depends on how much Steph is willing to stomach or both and if Astrid is willing to come along with us again. I think I could. I think the... I could reappear for. I would do that for Cronenberg. Yeah, Rabbit's got about two scanners. Has also got Scanner Cop and ends up at like fucking seven. <laughs> <laughs> scanner Just Cop. Just to warn you. We love to see it. The scanners are one through three, and then Scanner Cop mm. one, two, and three. Cronenberg, as is the case with a lot of these things, is in about two of them. Yes. And God help us all. Uh, Either way, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Ta-ra!